0: B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth.
1: I heard Damian Lillard's comment about how it takes more than one game to get into a funk. So it takes more than one game to get out of a funk. Is that true? Because... I do think it only takes, like, you know, to form a habit. I don't know how many times you think you need to do something. You know, five times, three times, one time. A habit starts with one, doesn't it? Blazers are in the habit of losing, doing a lot of little things wrong. They look like a team that's a little lost when it comes to roster construction and maybe a little lost uh, on the coaching front. Guys, I want to go right to you on this one. Steven and Peter. Chauncey Billups. Do we know if he's part of the problem here? Do you have a sense if, if the Blazers coach is part of the problem? Or is this strictly a roster construction thing? Is he the right fit or is it a weak roster?
2: I think it's both. I mean, it's one of those things where it's still a little too early to tell. But, I mean, look, one thing you can say about the the quote-unquote Damian Lillard era is it's mediocre teams that sort of won in the last four minutes of a game lookout. And we all know Dame time, and he's pointing at his wrist. But it wasn't just Dame. It was team play they'd buckled down. And for the last couple months, they haven't just not been great in the clutch. They've been atrocious. And if you're not performing, the offense is stagnant, and everyone's standing around looking looking at each other when it's crunch time, I mean, that's the coach's job to design things and actually value possessions and get things going down the stretch. I think it's part of the problem.
3: Yeah, no doubt. It's a little of both. Uh, We still don't know if Chauncey Billups is a great coach. We know that he's had some really good games. He's had some really bad stretches, especially lately. Um, And there's still a lot of questions with this roster, though, as well. Like, I think this roster is very average. And so, Average teams in the NBA, they lose these type of games to the Caps, who's a really good team, um, a young team that plays really good defense. We saw the last six minutes of the game, uh, Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell, they really just took over the game on the offensive side. And then defensively, when you're not creative, these type of teams that are good defensively, they buckle down in the last six minutes. And I think for Portland, that's a little bit on Dame. It's a little bit on Chauncey Billups. It's a little bit on the, on the, on the roster. I think everyone's got to learn how to play together. But Dame's so used to, you know, Getting the Blazers out of these holes and winning by himself, I don't know that it's, it's definitely not sustainable to do that. And I don't know it's the best way to do it right now. And Chauncey needs to figure out a way to not make Damian Lillard do that. He needs to figure out a way to get Amphrey Simons a bucket or Jeremy Grant a bucket and help Dame out. That way it's just a little bit easier for him.
1: I also think like look, there you know, you say average roster. Let's let's drill down on the roster first. And and we're gonna get to the NFL games. We got a big NFL show we got a bunch of NFL guests that are going to be joining us uh, from across the playoffs. Bob Condota of the Seattle Times will be with us uh, in the 4 o'clock hour. Uh, he just confirmed that. We'll go to Tampa. We'll go uh, get a, a, a close look at the Chargers-Jaguars game, and we'll talk all around the rest of the action. But um, I want to start with the Blazers because there's such a dumpster fire right now. It it has caved in on them. You said average roster. Let's just look at the roster. Is it an average roster? And by the way, if they're average, is it about the eighth or ninth best roster in the West, or is this roster worse than eighth or ninth? Oh, that's a tough question.
3: I you know before the year, I had the Blazers at ten, at tenth in the Western Conference. So I think that's about where they are. And I think it is a problem. I think mostly it's the bench. I think the starting unit is pretty solid, but after about the first five, four guys. You're having trouble, and Josh Hart is really showing a lot of guys or a lot of problems with this roster as well. Like, he's a good player, but he's not a starting caliber player in the NBA. If you want to be a really good team, and he has some definite flaws in his game that are not great and that don't fit with the Blazers right now, you know he's best suited to be that sixth, seventh man on your team. Right now, he's like the fourth best player on the Blazers, and so.
1: Right, I th- but do, but if we're just looking at the roster, do you think? Like, when you have him at 10th, how much of that has to do with Chauncey Billups and how much of that has to do with the roster? Because if it's an average roster and there's 16 teams in the Western Conference, I would think an average team would be the number 8 or number 9 team when you look at talent. So where do you put the roster? Forget where you think they're going to finish, but is this the 8th best roster, ninth best roster? Is it worse than that? Because I want to try to quantify the job that Chauncey Billups is doing. Is he making this roster a little better? Or is he making it a little worse? I guess that's the question yeah, to ask. I, I would. When you sorry. add Billups to the. You add Billups as an ingredient here. His his coaching abilities. Does he? Is he getting more out of the roster than what's there, or less?
3: I if, put it that way. I think the Blazers would have uh, a, an average to an above average roster in the Western Conference. They should be eight or above. You know, eight, seven, six, something like that. So I think they're. He has not fulfilled the roster. Uh, to their fullest ability so far this season. Now, he did it early in the year, but definitely the last 20, 25 games, it has not been the same.
2: The the way I like to put it is, would Terry Stotts have this same record with this exact roster? Terry Stotts would have more wins. Now, would he get scouted out and they'd struggle in the playoffs? Yeah, that's sort of the challenge with the Stotts fence. But as a regular season coach... This team with this exact group, even with the same injuries, they would be winning at least a few more games. They certainly wouldn't be the four or five seed or something like that. But they would be, you know, seventh, eighth, maybe ninth, somewhere around there.
1: Yeah, and that's what I'm looking at is, you know, there's an element here where somebody asked me today, they said, is it the roster or is it the coach? And I said, I think it is both. I think that this roster is not built to do anything more than, you know, make you think about the playoffs. And then you throw on top of it a coach who – you know, can't, was hired during the pandemic, who doesn't have proof of performance. He's, you know, doing this for the first time. And although he's played in the league and, you know, you, ha- you can respect him as a player, it's it's very similar, I think, to like, you know, it, you, you throw Terry Porter in a college team. Everybody respects Terry Porter as the player that he was in the NBA. Um, but you put him on a college team and there's a lot more to it when you're coaching I, I think there's a lot more to it, and Chauncey Billups is probably figuring that out. So I, my answer to that is it's both the roster and the coach, and I think where they are today sort of underscores that there are issues here. And, and I'll go back to it. I think this this is all symptomatic. Like I often will look at, you know, I've had the fortune of being around championship events because of my job. So I've covered nine Super Bowls. I've covered a whole bunch of World Series. I've covered uh, multiple national championship football games, uh, Kentucky Derby, Belmont, five Olympics. I've been around the winner's circle and the medal ceremony, and there's no accidents. I'm here to tell you it's not accidental. Whoever ends up holding up the Lombardi trophy it's not going to be like, oh, what a fluke. Like, they had no roster. They, had, they didn't have good coaching. They, they had good management. Man, they got there anyway, and they won it all. Like, I've, nobody's ever said that. It doesn't happen in ping pong when you go to the Olympics. It doesn't happen in the World Cup. It doesn't happen anywhere. And so, what what is playing out on the court right now in front of us, as the Blazers, uh, you know, are sputtering along, they have the 11th best record in the West. They've lost five in a row. They've they've lost eight of the last 10, and where everybody's going, what is wrong? What is wrong? It's a symptom, guys. It's they've got a coach who's probably a little in over his head. They've got a roster that really isn't built to contend, and if you put, like, the greatest coach in the NBA with this roster, you know, maybe they're four games better in the win column, you know, and and all of a sudden, everyone's going, hey, there's no problem here. Maybe they're, they're sitting there with the Clippers right around six or seven in the West, but instead, they're sitting at 11, three games between six and 11 in the win column, and And everybody can see that there's a problem. I think they're headed to the bottom. I don't think this is going to correct itself. I think Damian Lillard is wishful. I think he's saying the right thing and saying, hey, it takes more than one game to pull out of it. What is he going to say? Uh, I think that this is a roster that's in real trouble because this coaching staff, even with Scott Brooks on it, this coaching staff is not built to get more out of this roster than is there. I guess that's my point. Go ahead.
3: I was gonna say, so in your opinion, from what I'm hearing, is is you think it's more of a roster issue because even if you said if they had the best coach in the world, they're still only going up a couple games. They're probably the six, seven seed. So if you know, let's just say Chauncey Billups is an above average coach, they're still not anywhere close to a championship contender. So you think it's more of a roster issue than a coach issue?
1: I think the fact that they're sitting at eleven is both, but I think. That even if they didn't have Billups as the coach, let's just say Peter brought up Terry Stotts. Terry Stotts is this coach. Maybe they're three games better in the win column with Terry Stotts as the coach. Maybe they just played a little better. Maybe at the end of that game two games ago where they were, they had three open looks at a three and didn't get it. Maybe maybe Terry Stotts does a better job of getting his guys in the right position to, to get an extra bucket. Um, it, that, that mentality uh, would have only led this Blazers organization to be about the sixth seed, seven seed. Uh, But if they were at six and seven, what would the narrative be? The narrative would be, hey, you know, they're one move away at the trade deadline from being maybe the four seed or maybe they could think about being the three seed. Like with a nice move, you can get there. But my point is – I think this roster's been broken for a long time, and I think the thing that mostly changed was you switched Terry Stotts for Chauncey Billups, and now he's not getting as much out of a roster that is flawed, and I think probably Terry Stotts and Damian Lillard combine to hide a whole bunch of flaws in the Blazers' roster in the last four or five years.
3: I agree with you because I I think it's more of a roster issue than a coach issue. I do think Chauncey can improve as he gets better, but I just think, like I said, this roster is very average outside of Damian Lillard. Like, I like Anthony Simons. I like Nurk, but those are average players right now in the NBA, and you can't expect the Blazers to be a legitimate playoff team when you're still working on that roster, and that bench has just been pathetic the last, you know, couple weeks. Last night they go for nine points. The game before they go for seven, like, that's not a winning recipe and no matter what chauncey billups does or doesn't do I, I can't expect him to win these games but yet at the same time chauncey needs to make some adjustments he has not been great himself but at the same it's it's, it's the roster for me i think in the nba it's so much more roster than it is coach
1: i uh, i agree with that i think you know and i think it you know for blazer fans i said at the beginning of the year i just wanted you to have an entertaining year um i do think it's going to be compelling no matter what happens i mean you even look at the game last night, and you can say all you want that, you know, the Blazers got beat, but um, Damian Lillard's, Lillard scored 50 points in this game. It it was kind of interesting to me to see him try to put this team on its back and win the game, and meanwhile, they're up against a Cavs team that had much more balanced scoring and just withstood, you know, a 50-point effort from Lillard, uh, but the Blazers lost their fifth in a row. I mean, it's just... Uh, it's, uh, it's sad. And, and, you know, the Blazers were up late in this game. It was about seven and a half minutes to go. I think Lillard hits a three, pretty deep three. Blazers are up. I kind of felt like they were going to do it, guys.
2: Yeah, they they completely collapsed down the stretch, mostly offensively. Look, you gotta give credit to Mitchell and Garland. They took over at the point of attack. Especially Mitchell. Like he had Gary Payton the second guarding him. And uh we got good GP2, at least defensively last night. I mean, he he but ultimately the Blazers just they were standing around and watching Dame. I think that's sort of the downside is when Dame's looking around and nothing's happening. He says, Look, I'm gonna do this myself, and it's great how many times have we had a fun fourth quarter with big numbers and everyone's cheering but i think some of these guys get end up uh caught up in just ball watching and no one it was just so stagnant they should have won that game john it was there for the taking previous years they would have won that game again i'm right there with you still a middle-in team in previous years but they would have won that game
1: yeah and 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 again i think that's where the coaching thing sh- you know comes out and but i said at the beginning of the year like you know, and I had a lot of people roll their eyes at me, and some Blazer fans were mad at me. They said, you're such a hater. But I but I, I said, this is a team that should be tanking this year. Uh, you know, the, the Wimba, Victor Wemba-Yama thing is, is super appealing, and I'm not saying you need to have the worst record in the league, but at some point here in the next two weeks, I think there may be sort of a realization in the fan base, and maybe in the front office, as they look at the big picture, that they're closer to the bottom than they are at the top. And and I do not uh, agree with Damian Lillard that, you know, it takes more than one game to get in into a funk and out. Like, I just think what he's really saying is, like, I think it took all the summer to to create this roster that was designed to kind of be a middling team. And then you put a coach in charge of it. And it's no fault of Chauncey Billups. Like, I, I don't expect him to turn the job down. But the Blazers put a coach in, in charge of a flawed roster who has no previous experience. So... You know, I think part of the loss that we're seeing, tell me, guys, if you agree with this. You got Lillard, you had Stotts, you had C.J. McCullum in the past. At least you had some experience and you had some veteran guys. Now are we seeing maybe the loss of Stotts, the loss of C.J. McCollum, uh, a little bit the roster, the bench bad. Dame's still out there scoring 50, but there's not a whole lot of uh, stability around him.
3: Yeah, that's where you want those veteran leadership because, you know, to Damon Chaunce- Chauncey said the same thing. You're not going to get out of the slump in one game. That is partially true. Like, the NBA is such a ebb and flow league. Like, it's going to take a little bit to get out of it, but at the same time, when you got veterans like C.J. McCollum who can go off and score 35 in a night and win a game for you, that's when you need that right now. And Anthony Simons just hasn't been that guy lately. Um, and the thing with Chauncey Billups also, you know, in his quote last night, I, I didn't like the fact that he just – he said he's proud of the effort and, like, you know, it's these type of things. Like, yeah, that's the minimalist thing to talk about. I, I want – I expect the Blazers to play hard. I expect guys to play hard every single night. So I don't need you to congratulate them for playing hard in a loss. Like, I want to see what you're going to do and whether the what are the changes going to the next game. We haven't seen it. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a little bit of everything, John. I think it's lack of leadership on the coaching staff, but it's also – you know, Now the Blazers are getting a little bit younger, a little more inexperienced in their lineup, and it's not working.
1: Leave it here. We'll start talking about the NFL playoffs. Are the Cowboys vulnerable? We'll start there. Plus, we'll go to the Bay Area where Bob Condotta, the Seattle Times, is preparing to cover the Seahawks-Niners game. He'll check in with us. Uh, where are the minds of the Seahawks players? Later in the show, uh, we will also talk about the Chargers and Justin Herbert's first chance to win a playoff game.
0: You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
1: We're going to start in inverse order on the NFL playoffs as uh, we sort of look at the schedule for the weekend. Uh, Dallas uh, will be at Tampa on Monday, Monday night football, more or less, five fifteen on that football game. The Dallas Cowboys at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. 12 wins for the Cowboys. Eight wins for the Buccaneers. So why is it that the Cowboys, uh, and when I talk to people, I only get two answers here. Either people love the Cowboys in this game because they go, oh, the Cowboys can." Yeah, you know they can run the ball. They can, uh, you know, they're they're the better team. They've got the better players. Uh, but uh, Tom Brady's on the other side, and the home fields on the other side. And so I get another faction of people who have watched the Cowboys play in the last couple of few weeks, who just don't ju- don't think that the Cowboys are going to be well positioned to win this game. They, they that they look vulnerable. And again, last weekend, last weekend of the NFL season. Washington the Commanders beat the Cowboys 26 to 6 throwaway game not everybody played before that the Cowboys knocked off the Titans beat the Eagles lost to the Jaguars in overtime beat the Texans do you believe in the Dallas Cowboys on Monday night Steven I think you do but uh are they uh, are they vulnerable in this Monday night game I really don't think that
3: they are. And maybe I'm crazy for this, but you know, I, I've watched the Buccaneers play this season and I'm just not buying what they're selling. You know, we talk about the Vikings and how they're one of the worst 13 or 14s. Well, the Buccaneers were minus forty five in point differential. They had the second least amount of points in the NFC scored. So like the offense isn't isn't great and you know they're not they're not winning games, they're losing games, they're eight nine in the worst division. Like the reason why you would pick the Bucks is because it's Tom Brady at home. And, and that makes a lot of sense because he is the best quarterback of all time. But I feel like if I look at just this season and the 2022 season and we go by positions, I think the Cowboys are basically better at every spot than the Bucs. And the only reason we want to pick the Bucs is because of Tom Brady. So I really do feel confident in the Cowboys. I think they're going to win. I think they're going to cover. You know, I was talking to Judah earlier today. Like We were talking about are there any of these games that could be blowouts I think that the Cowboys have potential to win this game by two touchdowns because I do think that they're just that much better than the Bucks, and the only reason we think that they could lose is because of Tom Brady, but he hasn't been that great this year.
1: Here's a couple of stats I want to throw at you. Maybe they change your mind. Uh, Tom Brady is 7-0 and in his career against the Cowboys. That's the most wins without a loss by any quarterback against the Cowboys. Joe Montana also went 5-0, and but Tom Brady's 7-0. and uh, the Cowboys on the road in the playoffs they've lost 8 consecutive road postseason games. Week 1 these two teams played. Tampa beat Dallas 19 to 3. Any any of that give you pause Stephen? Um not the the number where Tom Brady
3: is 7-0 against the Cowboys definitely not uh because some of those games were so long ago like none of the players even played in the game. So I think that's just such an arbitrary thing. Like, I do take into the fact that they beat him in week one of the season. Like, that is a real thing because the Cowboys did have Dak in that game, and they looked very bad. So, yes, that's a good reason why. Uh, But the other ones, not really.
1: You got Dak Prescott in this game. I think he's an important player. Uh, He was out for part of the season. In fact, he broke his thumb in that week one game against the Buccaneers. But – he is tied for the NFL lead with 15 interceptions in 12 games played. Uh, that's interesting to me, and you know his interception rate was the highest by a quarterback to make the postseason since uh, Peyton Manning in 2015. That's not bad company, but he's made some bad decisions in the last few weeks. Uh, you know, he when he's right, he's good. So I'm I'm interested. I, I don't think I kind of I tend to agree with you. I don't think the Buccaneers can score enough points to win this game, but I am kind of trying to figure out if this is a really close game. And if it is a close game, can Tom Brady matter in it? And I guess that's the question for me. Peter, how do you see the Cowboys Buccaneers?
2: Yeah, I mean, everything Steven said is right, but I'm not betting against Tom Brady at home. <laughs> I'm just not. And I would love to expand upon that and give you a whole bunch of reasons. It's Tom Brady at home. And maybe, yeah, maybe they get beat by two touchdowns and that's the end. And he's, you know, Willie May stumbling around in center field with the Mets. But until I see it, I can't go against the guy. I like Tampa Bay
1: yeah I think uh, it's an interesting play I if gun to my head I think the Cowboys are the better team the game being in Tampa scares me and it it it, for Dallas and then you throw Brady on top of it I I just don't know I think it's going to be incredibly uh, dramatic theater on Monday night 515 kickoff uh, on that wild card game on Monday. Uh, we'll work backwards. Uh, we will go to the Bay Area in the 4 o'clock hour. Bob Condota of the Seattle Times will be joining us to talk about the Niners and the Seahawks. Uh, but up next, uh, we will kick around uh, a couple of the other NFL games uh, as we go through the wild card weekend. I want your phone calls as well. Do you have an upset special this week? Do you have a team in the NFL playoffs that you think uh, can pull off an upset? Give me a Underdog who's going to advance from the wildcard weekend at 503-417-7575.
0: Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750, The Game.
1: I get great questions for my uh, my Saturday mailbag that I do at com. I get the best questions every week. Every week the questions are fantastic. I see some of these other mailbags that people do, and I'm like, nope. My uh, my readers, my listeners, smarter, better questions. Better looking people, too. Just saying. Uh, but uh, I, tomorrow morning I'll have uh, the Q&A. But uh, somebody posted a question. Uh, today asking, is this the end for Dana Altman? Oregon lost again last night, uh, and save for their victory at Utah a couple of games ago, it's been bad for Dana Altman. And What's wrong with Oregon? That's become a question. Uh, I want to spend a minute here talking about it. We'll get back to the NFL. But I think part of the issue for Dana Altman is, uh, you know, a couple seasons ago he lost Tony Stubblefield one of his assistants, the pipeline recruiting for, from Canada, the Canadian pipeline that brought Dylan Brooks and Chris Boucher to Oregon's roster appears to have dried up. Um, Oregon's success in the Final Four I think got Oregon away from recruiting the three- and four-star players that were able to be coached by Dana Altman. And what I mean by that is, look, I think Dana Altman is a really good coach, okay? I think he's a really good coach manager of his roster, a really good X and O coach. I don't think Dana Altman is the problem with Oregon, but I think Dana Altman started recruiting the wrong players. I think he was at his best when he could take Dylan Brooks, Tyler Dorsey, and, uh, uh, and Bell, that Bell, Dorsey, Brooks lineup that he had that he took to the Final Four with Peyton Pritchard coming off the bench. He could take that lineup and he could make it better over several years he made it better and i think what has been lost after you get to a final four and i wrote about it and i got a lot of noise from duck fans at the time i wrote about it in the wake of the final four like hey you're gonna get tempted here to change the way you recruit you're gonna get tempted to chase the bowl bowls of the world and oregon started doing it and i think oregon lost two things i think they lost the players that they were developing over the years that helped get them to a Final Four. They lost that kind of recruit. And then I think they also lost the, the, I have no better way to put this than the junkyard dog that they had on the roster. They had some guys on their rosters over the years that weren't fun to play against. And I don't think the five-star, oh, you went to a Final Four, I want to come to your program and use it as a stepping stone to the NBA, that guy I don't think is a junkyard dog. I don't think that guy is going to compete. I don't think that guy knows what it is to struggle. I don't think that guy knows what it is to over overcome and improvise and adapt and and uh, you know have the grit to get by you. Like I am a big fan of grit. Like I will take grit in a player, all things being equal, give me the grittier player. And I think it's why some of the players that you see in high level professional sports like. Everybody's a good athlete in the NBA. In fact, everybody's a phenomenal athlete in the NBA. Most players, unless you're seven foot stiff who's just there because you're a big body. You're a phenomenal athlete or you have a, a tremendous skill. You can really block shots or you can really shoot three or you or you have uh, you know great ball handling. like it's either a skill or you're a sensational athlete or you're you know you're a mutant, right? But you put all of those things in the same place. There are a lot of players who don't make the NBA who have a great outside shot. There are a lot of players who never get a sniff in the league who have a good handle. There are a lot of players who are 6'5 and can jump out of the gym who never make it. You don't know their names. And, you know, somebody's asking me the other night, like, what's the difference? And I said I think a a large part of this is some of it is, you know, how do you navigate the ecosystem of amateur basketball, meaning do you uh, put yourself in position – uh, with the right high school, the right club team, the right college to uh, grow and develop and become a player who uh, can then enter the NBA. Uh, some of that is true, but I also think there's a, there's a grit factor, the X factor that George Plimpton wrote about in his book, that you have to have. Michael Jordan had it. You don't want to play Michael Jordan in horseshoes, okay? let alone basketball. You don't want to play Michael Jordan bowling or golf, let alone basketball. You don't want to do these things because he's just a competitor. And a lot of the guys that get to the league, I do think, have that that X factor. And I think that's missing from Oregon's roster right now. I look, I see talented players, I see good recruiting classes, I see outside shooters that are missing shots, and everyone's going, well, if if they make the shots, then they're fine. But I also just don't see a team that is competing on a consistent basis. I don't think there's any grit there. And I kind of wonder, you know, Dylan Brooks was – not the greatest athlete in college basketball when he was in his last year at Oregon. Tyler Dorsey wasn't either, Jordan Bell wasn't either. They were, you know, they were really good college players, but I had covered college teams that had better, higher drafted players. I covered a Fresno State team that had two players taken in the top 15 picks of the draft. And I'm looking now at Oregon from that final four year and I'm going, "Well, what made him special?" You know what made him special? It was the fact that Dana Altman had three years with that group of Bell and Dorsey and Brooks together. It was a young Peyton Pritchard who was a competitor, being a freshman on that team that was playing kind of a a supporting role. He wasn't the guy on that team. That team competed. That team wanted to beat you. It was athletically good enough, and it had good players, but it really just wanted to beat the pants off you. I think that's missing right now, and they're getting... Lethargic effort about every other game. Dana Altman looks like he's ready to pull his hair out. And I'm kind of looking around basketball going, gosh, you know, there are guys like Mike Shashevsky, Jim Beheim. There are coaches in college football like Chris Peterson who have all kind of looked around and gone, "Uh, this game is changing. I don't know if I like the portal. I don't know if I like NIL. I'm looking at Dana Altman and going, I don't think he likes his roster. I don't think these are the kinds of players that would that would thrive under Dana Altman, and so I, I I I know he knows this. I I get the sense that he knows this, and I you can see him, especially with the recruiting classes that are coming, kind starting to reach back towards the kind of players that maybe like they're really good player, they're really good college players, but there might not be like one and done good. And I think that's the kind of thing where if you take a coach like Dana Altman, if you just think about it from a logic standpoint, he's 64 years old, okay? He's too old for this crap. He, he's a really good X and O coach, and he can really develop players. You, that's not the right guy to send a bunch of one-and-done type athletes. That's not the right guy to go, hey, go to Oregon, spend a year there, maybe two years, get to the league. That's not the right kind of program. Let those players go somewhere else. And I'm not saying you shouldn't take the best possible player or five-star or whatnot. But if you do, it better be somebody with some grit. Because if you're only going to have them for one year, if you're not going to have a chance to, uh, you know, uh, improve them, develop them, um, they better have some grit to them. Uh, because I think the best Dana-Alman teams that I have ever watched play. Were the teams that just competed? They weren't them. They weren't the highest recruited teams. They weren't the teams that had, uh, you know, the top picks in the draft. They were just teams that would show up and they were not fun to play against because you know they would compete. And I don't see that right now from Oregon. The saving grace that Dana Altman has, though, right now, is that this is a conference that has been a little wonky this season. You've seen Arizona lose to Utah. You've seen. Uh, yeah, yeah, Washington State beat Arizona as well. You see UCLA and Arizona acting like, you know, hey, we're out front. But I don't know. If they get to the conference tournament, I think they could be vulnerable. I think someone could get one of those teams in the conference tournament in Vegas in March. So I think it's the only saving grace is that Dana Altman has an opportunity here to line this thing up. But I am kind of worried. Like, not, I don't think Oregon would fire Dana Altman. I don't. I don't think after a Final Four, after his success, after winning the Pac-12 championship four times in six seasons, I don't think he's fireable right now. But I kind of wonder if Dana Altman would throw the keys in. And he kind of has that look right now. He had it at the end of last season. He's got it again. He kind of has that look like he's not having a good time out there. And I wonder, at his age, with the money that he's earned, with the success that he's had, with the fact that you know he's a likely Hall of Fame coach in college basketball, uh, at I wonder if he's looking around going, I am just, not, yeah, not like you know we saw Mike Shishovsky do it, uh, we've we've seen other coaches do it, guys. What do you make of what's going on at Oregon and Dana Altman and, and to the to the to the question that I got in the mailbag. Is it time to move on from Dana Altman? Only if Dana Altman says it's time. But I do think it's time for him to start thinking about who he's recruiting and maybe don't take the one-and-dones. Like it, Let them go somewhere else and implode programs.
3: I agree. I don't think it's time to move on from Dana Altman because he is a proven good X's and O's coach, and he usually gets the best out of his teams when the season goes on. Um, I do agree also that you may not have to get all the five stars to win. When you look at the rankings and the high school ranks, especially in basketball, that's projecting out to try to get to the NBA, right? And so college basketball in the NBA is such a different, like such a different game. We've seen really good college players, you know, college players of the year not be successful in the NBA because it's just a completely different game. You know, I love Ken Palm. I look at Ken Palm all the time. You look at the top 10 guys in his player of the year, I'm looking at the top ten. There's two that are going to be first-round picks probably. One's going to be a top five, and then another guy maybe in the 20s, and that's it. The other eight are going to be second-round to undrafted guys. And so I think you're right. It's a lot of, you know, you need these veteran players that stick around for two, three, four years and really develop their game and learn how to be really good in the college game rather than the NBA game.
1: And we saw this, right? We saw this, you know, it it wasn't recent. It was like five, six years ago, maybe even longer, where you started to see – you know, teams like Butler get to the Final Four, right? Brad Stevens takes Butler to the Final Four, and everybody's like, oh, Butler's in the Final Four. Well, it came in an era where the Blue Blood programs were all getting young, maybe built-for-the-NBA-one-day type players that were not able to stick around and get any synergy in the program and get any, get any continuity and get any real growth, and they were finding themselves in NCAA tournament games against mid-major programs who had kids that were, like, marginal NBA talent, maybe D-League-type talent, or maybe one player who could play in the NBA and then a bunch of role players. But you had guys that were, like, juniors and seniors. And it was evident. It was almost like, you know, when we all walked into the gym when we were young and we would run into a group of old guys that were – you know, playing five-on-five, and one of the guys had, like, goggles on, knee braces, and everybody had beards, and you'd you'd laugh at them because they're bounce-passing to each other. But they'd kill you in the gym game. Why? Because they're more experienced. They've got synergy. They've played together.
3: I mean, just think back to that Final Four team of the Ducks. Like, for how good that team was, they were all, you know, two, three-year guys, and they were all second-round picks in the NBA draft. They weren't first-round picks, right? Dylan Brooks, second-round pick. He's been successful in the NBA, but there was, he wasn't thought of to be this lock of a first-round pick, and he wasn't. Tyler Dorsey, Jordan Bell, same things. Like it, It's just such a different game, and in the NBA, it's all about athleticism because they can spread you out and they can open the court, where in college it's a lot more compact and you have to have good skills to be able to shoot the basketball. Or like when Peyton Pritchard was at Oregon, he's great at getting into the middle of the paint and then kicking out to somebody. That is so uh, so much needed in the college game as compared to the NBA game, where when you get in the paint, you're looking to score, you're looking to dunk, or you're looking to hit a little floater. I think it's just totally different. So when you're going out and you're getting guys like Khalil War or uh, Ware at Oregon right now, he's a seven footer. He'll be a first round pick. He averages like six points a game. Like he's not great in the college game, but the NBA game, he's gonna be much better. You got to get the right combination of you know the five stars and the three stars.
1: I th- I thought the real. You know, if if I can put a face on what was the problem, it was Troy Brown Jr. And Oregon had made the Final Four the year before. You're right; they didn't have a first round pick. Uh, I think uh, I think Jordan Bell was the highest picked player. He was like 35th or 38th in, in the you know in the second round, and then Dorsey and Brooks went in the middle to mid part of the second round. But that very next year, what happened? Troy Brown, who is a five star guy, a McDonald's All American. Uh, you know, he basically says his senior year of high school, he wants to go to Oregon. Great. Dana Altman's ready to take him. But uh, he's going to be a one-and-done. Like, he announced that, like, before he arrived at Oregon. It was just going to be a one-year thing. And I wrote a column at the time saying, you know you're getting away from what made you good. You're getting away from what just got you to the Final Four. And Oregon did not make the NCAA tournament with Troy Brown. But Troy Brown got drafted. He got drafted in the first round. And guess what? The next season, Bull Bowl got drafted and Lewis King and Kenny Wooten and 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 it really wasn't until Pritchard went in you know 2 years ago in the draft that I thought Oregon you know he was a guy that they had developed and and in between uh you know Brooks Dorsey and Bell and Peyton Pritchard it really was it was Chris Boucher it was uh, you know who was undrafted it was Troy Brown who got drafted it was Kenny Wooten it was Lewis King it was Bobball Bull, uh, you know, it was like it was slipping through Dana Altman's fingers, the whole thing, you know, and they haven't been the same. So I can't be the only one that sees that. I know Dana Altman sees it. I've talked to him about it. I've asked him about it. And there's a conundrum there because on one hand, if I say to you, I'm a five-star player, I want to come play for your school, that's hard to say no to if you're a coach. But I also think Oregon, I think Oregon needs to say no at some point. I think they need to go, look, uh, you know, we're really interested in you. We'd love to have you. We can make you a better player but we're not in this one-and-done business unless it's a player who literally can just be the additive piece, I think. You know you already have a core roster because there's no continuity right now, and I think they're suffering still from the sins of changing their philosophy after 2017 in the Final Four. Our big splash is coming up. I want you here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750
0: The Game.
1: I think it's a really hard thing to ask a coach to not take the best possible player they can recruit, but I think, you know, uh, I think you hear from coaches all the time. They say, "Hey, you know, we want we want good players, but we want we want the best players that fit." And I think uh, I think last night it's obvious to me that Oregon. I, I just I don't think it's style of play. People keep saying, "Oh, it's their style of play. It's our no, cake." I don't think so. I think that. They have uh, guards right now that aren't making shots, but I just don't see a lot of synergy. I don't see growth, and i got to be honest with you. I look at the guys on the team, and I don't feel like we're getting to know these players, maybe other than uh, Infoli Dante and Will Richardson, who are holdovers. I don't think we're getting to know these players very well. And I think that's really important. I think Dana Altman needs players to be in his program for two and three and four years in order to maximize what a good coach he is. I think if you know if, if you can step back, that's really what we're talking about. Uh, this brings us to our big splash. Uh, the one thing that we know today that maybe we didn't know yesterday.
4: This is
0: the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look! Look! Look at it. Where? Down there. the big the splash.
1: Well, some news in the NFL. Sean McVay has informed the Rams that he's sticking around. Sean McVay told them that he'll remain the head coach. Team announced it today. Remember, in his end-of-the-season news conference, uh, McVay said he would take the appropriate time to make a decision on his future. Uh, the Rams are coming off a 5-12 and season, McVay's worst campaign since he was hired by the Rams. And uh, he you know, he signed a contract extension last offseason, runs through 2026. Apparently, uh, he's come to his senses. He says he loves football. He's invested in this thing. Youngest head coach in modern NFL history when he was hired in 2017. Um, and uh, he has a 67-41 and 41 record in six seasons. Rams have three NFC West titles, two NFC championships, and a Super Bowl in that time. Peter Sampson, you're a Rams fan. The news of Sean McVay coming back. Yeah,
2: I'll be honest. I'm surprised. I'm happy. And it doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to turn it around next season because they had to mortgage their uh, immediate future for that uh, Super Bowl title. But look, he's a great coach. He's a grinder. He's got a long career ahead of him. I, I really thought. That he was leaving, though, because once you put it out publicly, especially when you already kind of floated it out there the year before you go, man, this guy, he's really thinking about at least taking a break, especially at that young age. Like, look, this isn't Bill Belichick. Sean McVay has plenty of time to just chill out and do TV hits for five years, get refreshed, not get any gray hair, and then choose the job that he wants. So I'll be honest, as a Rams fan, I'm shocked, but I'm pleasantly surprised.
1: I think uh, I think it's good for the Rams. I think it's good for football. I think uh, you know I always worry I, I get it, man I get it the the coaches in college and the coaches in the NFL, they go all in and I, I'm not sitting here feeling sorry for them because they are well paid. they are well compensated uh, they uh, they get scrutiny, they get glory they you know come everything comes with this package. but I just think that kind of continuity in the NFC West in particular, uh, is needed, especially with the Arizona Cardinals making a change uh, with their head coach. So I I like that McVeigh's sticking around. I think he's a good coach. I'm you know hopefully he'll get some time off. I man I'm telling you like you know and I'm one to talk because you know I have over the years often uh, been simultaneously writing and doing radio and doing TV and involved in a nonprofit and have three daughters. But I think you need you need to take time, man. I I just think we know now that, you know, if you're going to avoid burnout, especially as a coach, um, the coaches who do it right seem to be more balanced. And the coaches who coach for a long time seem to be more balanced than the ones who kind of rise up and then burn out. I I get it, man. They're all in. But this whole thing, like Mario Cristobal did this whole thing. Like he gets there at four o'clock in the morning. He, uh, you know, he stays later than anybody else. A lot was made about John Gruden he was sleeping in the office and all this stuff. I don't I don't think you need coaches necessarily to to live it that way and sleep in the office. Like I don't think you necessarily need that because I think in one hand it's great but I also think that you know, you just want somebody who works hard and puts in the the appropriate amount of hours. And also, well, by the way, I kind of like like Jonathan Smith who says he steps away from it and Dan Lanning in Oregon who says, you know, he gets home and he you know, he'll play games with his kids. Like You know, I just know over the years, Chip Kelly's guilty of this, too. Like, one time I I ran into Steve Sarkisian. I was covering the Vancouver Olympics up in uh, Vancouver, B.C. And I ran into Steve Sarkisian, and and I texted Chip Kelly, hey, Sark's here. And Chip Kelly was like, I'm game planning. Like, this was the middle of winter Olympics, like, months after your season was done. It was, like, February. And Chip Kelly was saying he was game planning. Like, I don't know if he was game planning or joking, but I kind of think, like, you know, he might have been game planning. Like, because I don't think that a lot of these coaches do anything else. I think you got to have balance in your life. On that note, what are you doing this weekend, guys?
3: Uh, I'm going to be hanging out. My wife is gone so it's uh me and the two kiddos will be hanging out. Uh my wife has a bachelorette party so I don't know. We got we got to figure something out to do. I guess we can watch football together. Bachelorette
1: party. What's <laughs> going on at the bachelorette party?
3: I don't know. Some wild and crazy things. I just hope uh you <laughs> know, hope she'll be okay.
1: Where is this party
3: going to be? Uh, I believe it's in Bend. So she's gone all oh, weekend, wow. which is Oh, you're so you're on dad duty all weekend? Yeah. It's a little disappointing, but uh
1: you know. not little peas. That's not what you're supposed to say. Oh, sorry. I mean, it's gonna be a great time.
3: It's gonna be a great time. (laughs) No, but I mean, I love my kids, so I think they'll be okay. We got to figure something out to do though. I think we need some activities. uh, Yeah. So hopefully it doesn't rain. We can go outside or something.
1: Go take them out to Oaks Park and go roller skating. I don't know if they know how to roller skate. Well, that's why you take them. You you don't need to be out there roller skating. Let them roller skate. That's the danger right there. Yeah. Take him. Uh, are you guys going to watch the NFL games? Or do your kids watch the games with you? Uh, my youngest likes football because he
3: likes to fight people. My oldest doesn't really like football, so he probably wouldn't watch with me.
1: Yeah, I know. Peter, what are you doing this weekend?
2: Uh, I'll have the games on in the background. I have some guitar maintenance to do on a couple guitars, and I'm going to do a little bit of painting. So, uh, yeah, taking it easy.
1: Wow, see, that sounds balanced. Peter's going to outlive us all. I am. You know, because I think Peter's got Peter's got to figure out he's in there painting I can hear classical music in the background while he's painting. And he's uh he's giving the guitar some maintenance. That's pretty good, man. But what are you doing this weekend? Uh tweet at me at John Canzano BFT. Coming up in the four o'clock hour, we will visit with Bob Condota of the Seattle Times. He will be along to talk to us about the Seahawks Niners. Plus, uh we'll be uh talking with Anna about what's going on with her.
0: F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with a bald-faced truth.
1: Bob Condona, Seattle Times will be with us uh, this hour. We'll talk about the Seahawks-Niners game. That should be a good one. I, I really like the Niners, but I may be, my, my vision may be clouded by the fact that I have an allegiance. I grew up a Niners fan. I don't see that team accurately or rationally. I understand you as a sports fan when I look at the 49ers. Maybe not this version of the Niners, but looking back, I probably, probably overvalued my team. Luckily, the one thing the Niners did in the 1980s It was painful for a fan, but man, it was show business, not show friends with that organization. When they had Steve Young ready and Joe Montana's back was iffy, they didn't sit around waxing nostalgic. Nope, he was gone to the Kansas City Chiefs. When Ronnie Lott and Roger Craig got too old to be stars, what did the Niners do? They sent him across the way to Oakland, let him play for the Raiders. You can do that nostalgic thing over there. We're trying to win titles. So uh, that's an interesting thing because I think a lot of sports franchises are plagued by nostalgia. And they are influenced by fans who often overvalue their players. Like, heck, we're guilty of that. I think more than any market in America right here, we're very hokey and provincial when it comes to our players. And players who play NBA basketball in Portland, we overvalue them. We see them as greater. If not, if you don't believe me, go ask somebody. uh, You know, what could the Blazers get for Anthony Simons right now? And let the answers come down the pipeline. Let me hear about how you can get, you know, uh, you know, perennial All Stars for Anthony Simons. Like, and if you don't believe me, uh, ask yourself. uh, You know, when you look at the Oregon Ducks or the Oregon State Beavers. Uh, how many uh, how many first round or second round picks will those programs have? And the, the fans will tell you you know oh you know they, they, they've got a bunch of guys who are going to play in the NFL. And the truth is they got a bunch of guys who are really good college players, and they might have some guys who play in the NFL. But we overvalue more than anybody, and I think you know a lot of times fans get caught up in that, and sometimes franchises get caught up in it, and it costs them. They hang on too long. Uh, we'll talk about uh, what your peeve is this hour. We do that every Friday. I'd like for you to get that off your chest. I don't want you going into what could be a three-day weekend for a lot of you with uh, something weighing heavy on you. But uh, before we get to all that, let's look, Let's take a look at uh, some of the other NFL games uh, this weekend. I'm going to save the Niner-Seahawks game for Condota, who's in the Bay Area, getting ready for that game. But, guys, let's talk about Baltimore and Cincinnati. The Ravens uh, going on the road. Against a 12-win and, and a possibly irked Cincinnati team that uh, will encounter the Ravens. I have a hard time because of recency bias. You just watch the Bengals beat the Ravens pretty handily. Um, and now they're playing in this game on Sunday night on NBC in Cincinnati. I, I like the Bengals in this one. I just think they've been there. They've, a lot of these players have been to the Super Bowl. Uh, they've got the better quarterback. I just can't see the Ravens without a healthy Lamar Jackson being in this game.
3: Yeah, without Lamar, I don't know how the Ravens can win this game. I do like the Ravens to keep it somewhat close, though, now that Tyler Huntley seems like he's going to be the starter. No official announcement has been made. Uh, but as long as it's not Anthony Brown, I think the Ravens can slow down the Bengals enough uh, to keep it within you know, a one-score game and maybe some drama at the end. Because I do love John Harbaugh as a coach. I think John Harbaugh is a really good coach, and that Ravens defense – always seem to show up in the playoffs. Another reason, they're in the same division. So they're very familiar with one another. It's not like the Bengals are going to be throwing out something that the Ravens haven't ever seen before. So they're going to be ready for it. I think the Ravens can keep the game close, but I'm with you. I think the Bengals uh, win a lot of the time.
1: Peter, you got a thought on that one?
2: Man, uh, not really, only because I completely agree with Steven. I mean, for me, this is such a gimme for the Bengals. They've been there. They're motivated, like you said, sort of getting jerked with by the NFL. And not to mention, they're they're one of the better 12 and 4 teams. They had a that little bit of a Super Bowl hangover. They've won eight in a row. I mean, there's I guess Baltimore could slow this game down a little bit, but I think Joe Burrow's gonna be motivated. I, I do think there's a chance that uh that uh, since he can win this by double digits.
1: On Christmas Eve, the New York Giants and Minnesota Vikings played a very close game. Uh, Minnesota walked off 27-24 winner on Christmas Eve, and here they are playing in a wild-card game in Minnesota. Vikings uh, 8-1 at home, Giants 4-4 on the road. Uh, the spread on this one, Minnesota's minus three points. You've got uh, you know Jones against Cousins at the quarterback position. That probably doesn't do a lot for people, but... Um, You know, this is a game, I don't know why, maybe it's just because I don't love Minnesota. I watched Green Bay beat them badly a couple of weeks ago. Um, I saw Detroit beat them in the last, you know, five weeks. Um, And I I know the Giants are vulnerable themselves, but I kind of think the Giants are going to hang around in this game. I think it's a really close game, and, and if I have to pick an upset, I'm picking the New York Giants to beat the Vikings.
3: Yeah, I don't think you're wrong on that um, for any of those reasons. Like, this game is so – I think it's a, more of a coin flip than any other game this week or this weekend um, between these two teams. And I think it was proved, you know, like you said a couple weeks ago when the Vikings win on a 61-yard field goal for the win. I'm going to go the other way. I think I'm going to give the advantage to the home team. I think Minnesota uh, and that home field advantage, that is one of the bigger home field advantages in the NFL. And I think that's going to come into play just a little bit with Daniel Jones. Uh, starting his first-ever playoff game. I think it might be rattle him just enough. Uh, I think the Vikings are going to win this game, but I I don't feel confident in it at all.
2: Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I just don't trust Kirk Cousins when the bright lights are on it. And against that defense, man, Saquon Barkley, uh, especially catching passes coming out of the backfield, uh, I like the Giants not just to cover but to win this.
1: Let's move on to the Miami Dolphins. They're going on the road to Buffalo uh, in this wild-card matchup, uh, wild-card weekend, rather. Buffalo uh, Buffalo's a 13 and a half point favorite in this game. Um, you've got uh, you know the Dolphins coming into this game as a heavy underdog. Nobody's picking them to win. Buffalo's at home. Buffalo. A lot of people have Buffalo penciled in as the best team in the AFC, despite the Chiefs. I just don't see how Miami wins this game. And by the way, the Dolphins have lost four out of the last five, and here they are.
3: Yeah, the Dolphins have really been struggling going into the playoffs and they're starting the rookie Skylar Thompson out of Kansas State who hasn't shown much, uh, especially in that last game. They played the Jets 11-6, to that barn burner. Uh, I'm not expecting much out of him to go up to Buffalo and have a big-time game. I mean, the spread is so big. I, I, I don't know how the Dolphins even go about to win this game. Like, it would have to be so many mistakes on the Bills' part. I think Buffalo Rose will this one.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess in theory maybe he could just lob it up to Tyreek Hill over and over again. And, uh, you know, Hill makes a couple miraculous grabs, and the Bills make a bunch of mistakes, but I don't see that happening. I like the Bills even to cover the spread. Two touchdowns.
1: Chargers-Jaguars, this is a late game on Saturday, 515 on NBC. Um, This one uh, is in Jacksonville, Florida, but the Chargers are now a point and a half favorite in this game. Justin Herbert's first chance to win a playoff game. I think he's going to get it. Uh, I don't think that uh, he gets it going away. I know a lot of people love Jacksonville in this game and are taking Jacksonville to win the game outright. Uh, you know, but it's Trevor Lawrence against Justin Herbert. Two really good quarterbacks picked at the top of the draft, and and here they are. But I, I just kind of, I just have this feeling, despite the the inexperience with the Chargers head coach, that the uh, the Chargers uh, beat the Jaguars in in this round.
3: Yeah, I'm one of those people that like the Jags. I like the Jaguars in this game. Uh, the main reason why I think the Jaguars have a big coaching advantage: Doug Peterson, Super Bowl winning coach over Brandon Staley. Uh, in my update, I'm playing the the quote that Brandon Staley had after the Week 18 game. The fact that he played Mike Williams, I just I don't understand. And now Mike Williams is out for this game uh, against the Jaguars with that back injury. And if the Chargers are to win, he'll probably be out for next week as well. I I just think that's just it's just a bad decision. I question that decision making in a big time playoff game where he's never coached a playoff game. I am excited to watch this one though. Me and Peter were talking about this on the Pulse like. This could be the most exciting game. Two young quarterbacks that could end up being you know, the faces of the NFL and Trevor Lawrence and Justin Herbert. I think it's going to be a fun game to watch, uh, but I just, I like the coaching advantage on the Jaguars side, so give me the Jaguars.
2: Yeah, I, I like the Chargers still, but yeah, Mike Williams having the fracture in his back definitely gives me pause. But, I mean, here it is. Justin Herbert in the playoffs, his first chance to really, uh, you know, show a bigger audience what he can do. I like L.A., but I'm not. As confident as I was even just two days ago,
1: I keep looking at the Chargers season, and you know they played Jacksonville in Week Three and lost badly. To, they lost by twenty-eight in Week Three, so it's you know it's not like we haven't seen this matchup. But uh, and they were at home, but how different is the season? I look at their season; they lost twice to Kansas City, they lost to San Francisco. You know that's three of their losses. They lost to Jacksonville, they lost to Seattle. These are all playoff teams, so I think. You know, I look at their season, and you could draw a conclusion there and go, look, when they get in against a playoff team, they just haven't done it. This would be a breakthrough for them. Yeah, I got the numbers for that. The Chargers,
3: they were 10-7 and 7 on the year. Uh, the combined record of the 10 teams that they beat was 57-111. and 111. So yeah. really bad record, and they were 1-5 against the teams uh, that made the playoffs this year.
1: So let's see what happens. Uh, we'll talk about the Niners and the Seahawks coming up as Bob Condota? The Seattle Times is going to join us from the Bay Area. I want you to start thinking about your peeve. We'll do what's your peeve when Anna pops into the studio later in the 4 o'clock hour. I'll also tell you what's on tap this weekend, a uh, big sports weekend, uh, even aside from the NFL. you got some college basketball and NBA and some other stuff that's going on. Plus, uh, we'll, I, we'll talk about some burning questions before we go into the weekend. What do I mean by that? Stick around.
0: You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
1: I'm telling you, it's Friday the 13th. Combine that with that song. Am I wrong to feel like uh, we're getting a little creepy? Just saying. Every time I hear that music, I think conspiracy theories. Welcome back to the Art Bell Show. Uh, Bob Condota, Seattle Times, covers the Seahawks. Does a great job. If you're not reading Condota, you're not up to date with what's going on with the Seahawks. He's joining us now live via satellite. Bob, where are you right now?
5: Um,
6: I'm at a hotel in uh, East Palo Alto, which is where the, uh, the the Seahawks are staying for this one. So, um, yeah, we all, um, everybody, just sort of flew down this afternoon to get to get down here for the game tomorrow afternoon.
1: Give us an idea. Uh, you know, my parents live in the Bay Area. They've been talking a lot about the weather. What's the current state of things? As you land, you look around, you see the roads, you see the skies. What does it look like to you?
6: Yeah, um, yeah. The, the approach was a little rocky, um, so there's definitely some stuff going up in the sky uh, going on up there. Uh, it's not bad at the moment at all. It's not raining um, right now, and uh, the roads were clear and stuff coming coming in. But it's supposed to be a lot worse tomorrow. That's sort of what the, the kind of the word's been all along is that the, every forecast you see is basically 100% chance of rain tomorrow and, and with the, the potential of some thunder showers and stuff like that. So the Seahawks definitely were preparing for that. They, they, they took the sort of rare step of practicing outside yesterday. Um, yesterday, you know, with it being a Saturday game, yesterday was sort of their usual Friday. And usually on Friday they go indoors because it's kind of a little bit of a lighter workout and all that being two days before the game. Um, but yesterday they wanted to get used to the conditions and have the guys and throwing and catching and stuff like that in the rain. And it was raining pretty hard in Seattle yesterday. So uh, they went, and went outside and practiced in the rain yesterday.
1: Give us an idea how you think uh, potential bad weather can impact uh, both sides of the ball in this game.
6: Well, it's funny. Yeah, you know, I guess you always feel like it maybe evens things out. You know, that's certainly the hopeful standpoint or the hopeful take from Seahawks from the Seahawks side, anyway, is that maybe it you know makes everybody slower, and so that you know it kind of evens things out. Um, you know if the faster team or whatever which maybe you think the 49ers are with some of the skill guys with uh, Debo and McCaffrey and stuff like that maybe it helps but the 49ers have been running the ball really well you know the last five or six games especially you know obviously since they got McCaffrey but you know they really sort of found that, that since they went to Purdy if you look at their rushing numbers they've really kind of committed to that and, and they've run it really well. You know, they have a really good offensive line. Obviously, Trent Williams, you know, is one of the best offensive linemen in the game. So I don't know how much it helps the Seahawks necessarily if it rains a lot because I think the 49ers can adjust to that as well. But, um, you know, that's maybe the hope is that it just makes it harder to throw the ball and, um, you know, it, the other hope, maybe if you're the Seahawks, is just some goofy things happen. You know, like the, the ball slips through somebody's hands and you get an interception or, so, or something like that. You know, obviously that, that can happen on the other side as well. So, you know, that's always Pete Carroll's take on this stuff. Haven't been around him for long enough now. He's always just like all this stuff, is, you know, impacts everybody equally, that the weather's bad for both teams. But, you know, if you're the Seahawks, maybe that's what you hope, is that if it makes it more of a sloppy, muddy game, maybe maybe some weird things happen and enough weird things happen to help you out.
1: Bob, did, you know, the, I watched the Seahawks advance, and we all saw the Lions beat the Packers. And is there a chance Seattle's just happy to be in the playoffs? Has that been addressed?
6: Um, certainly, there's. Yeah, I, you know, it, it's interesting to say that because they they've certainly sort of embraced the whole "we have nothing to lose" aspect of it, which is which is different. You know, for all the times I've covered all the years I've covered the Seahawks, that's really never been the case that. They've been the team that sort of, uh, they did have that peach first year. I wasn't covering the team that actually, but obviously peach first year in 2010, they had that a little bit, you know, because they stuck in as a 7-9 division win. You know, so there was sort of that thought of, well, nobody expected to do anything, and when they had to play the, you know, the defending Super Bowl champion Saints, and it, that kind of all worked out in their favor. Um, you know, this is obviously a real different team. Um, you know, it, it, it's sort of, it's interesting when you look at their roster, and I think there's only 21 guys in their 53-man roster who've even played a playoff game before. And as a franchise, it's only been two years since they played in one, but that sort of speaks to... the the rapid turnover they've had as a franchise and, you know, getting rid of guys like, uh, you know, KJ Wright, Bobby Wagner, and Russell Wilson takes an awful lot of playoff experience out of there. So, um, You know, I I mean, I don't know if if it's a danger per se to say they're just happy to be there, but it is just they've got a lot of young guys and a lot of inexperienced guys who haven't been to playoffs, including some of their older guys like Dino Smith. Never, you know, he's never started, he's never been to playoff game before, let alone start one. Um, You know, even a guy like Al Woods, he's kind of the you know one of the veteran guys on the defense, but sort of oddly, he's never played a playoff game. Um, just kind of the way his career has evolved. You know, Shelby Harris has never played in one either. You know, he came over from Denver. They, you know, uh, Noah fan. Noah the guys who came over from Denver never played one while they were there. So it's just going to be a new, ex- a new experience for a lot of guys. And obviously you're going up against a 49er team that, you know, played um, played a couple of playoff games last year. And, uh, you know, and for the guys who've been with the 49ers for three or four years, have obviously been around, you know, a lot of big games. So that is going to be an interesting dynamic to watch for
1: sure. Bob Condotta, Seattle Times, with us. Uh, what do the Seahawks need from Geno Smith?
6: Um, they really need him to not make mistakes. You know, that's sort of been – that was what he was really good at the first eight or nine games, was he, he he wasn't putting the ball up for grabs too much. If you recall, even some of the interceptions he had early were a little bit flukish, you know, tips or whatever um but the last four or five games he's just you know and he's he's admitted this he's just sort of made some legitimately bad passes you know and last last week both the interceptions he threw were legitimate you know interceptions that he threw they you know there wasn't anything clunky about them. they both went to uh, Jalen ramsey who's obviously a really good player but that's sort of the thing you know if you throw the ball kind of kind of in traffic with a guy like that around that, that that's what can happen and Anybody who watched the game knows there could have been a pick six as well. Quentin Lewis just, uh, you know, dropped that. The ramp safety just sort of dropped the pass that maybe would have been a pick six if he hangs onto that, and that was just thrown right to him. Also, so um, you know, that's really what they needed not to do, and that's you know, that was, if you recall, that was part you know one of the big reasons he got the job. I, you know, I, I don't think it was the only one at all. Uh, you know, I think they saw some things behind the scenes that maybe we didn't see that sort of came to fruition. But one of the b- biggest things was he had done a really good job in the preseason um, in training camp and the games themselves of taking care of the ball, not turning it over. And- that was, you know, I think Pete felt like it all had to start there, that we need a quarterback who's not going to make the big mistake. And, you know, Geno's made a few more of those the last few weeks. So, you know, I, I would kind of just start with that. Um, you know, they, 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 they and the danger there in trying to just take care of the balls and, you know, maybe you're doing nothing but checking down and, you know, you're throwing four-yard passes all game. You're not really going to win a game against the 49ers doing that either. So there's got to be that fine line. But they really early in the game, they need to not give the 49ers anything um, easy.
1: Bob Condota is with us, uh, covers the Seahawks for the Seattle Times. This is going to be the third meeting this year between these teams. Advantage, disadvantage, non-factor in your mind?
6: I don't think it's a huge factor. You know, I wrote a little story this week, kind of look at the history of, you know, the three, you know, know, teams who swept and stuff like that. And, and, you know, the the sweeping – the team that had swept – you know, I think is fourteen and ten in the, in the times they've met since uh, since nineteen seventy. Um, you know, so I, it kind of just turns out maybe that the team that is swept often is just the best team, and they just kind of keep winning. You know, it, it's sort of like it's hard to beat a team three times, but if you've already beaten that team twice, it's a lot easier to to beat the team three times. Um, certainly, there's just kind of that inherent familiarity, though. You know, they played each other a lot through the years, and um you know they did just play each other you know on December 15th so this will be the first time a team has played Brock Purdy for the second time and so who knows if the Seahawks will see anything in that that that, that helps them uh you know I think everybody's sort of been surprised by how well John Brock Purdy's played and here's a team that at least has <laughs> talking about Bob yeah so go ahead Bob yeah. go ahead oh
1: Bob. yeah
6: yeah sorry yeah, because but And was just going to say, you know, the Seahawks haven't played uh, the 49ers when they've had all of Debo, uh, Christian McCaffrey, and George Kittle because McCaffrey wasn't there in the first game. Debo wasn't there in the second game. Um, you know, so it's kind of hard to read a, that much. But it, it's kind of hard to know what to read into how they've played before. But certainly, you know, I don't think there's going to be a lot of surprises between, between the two teams.
1: Bob, it, it's, you know, Pete Carroll this season, Russell Wilson gone. It, just feels to me like the Seahawks are playing with house money it, you know can you give like the 20,000 foot view or maybe the insider view of the Wilson trade and the Seahawks still getting themselves into the playoffs like how good does that feel for this this franchise
6: yeah absolutely no doubt about it um, you know I, I think no matter what happens you know as long as maybe it's not 60 to <laughs> 60 to seven or something um, you know I, I think it's a successful season um, having done what they've done and gotten to the playoffs getting you know the fifth pick from Denver you know I, nobody thought that they'd get a pick that high I think if you thought you, you thought the highest of the two first round picks they were gonna have would be Seattle's and and uh, um, not be Denver's and it's sort of like they're ending up with the two picks everybody thought they might get but it's just flipped in t- terms of how they're getting them you know getting the fifth from Denver and getting you know the, the 20th or so uh, depending on where it's, it turns out um, from Seattle but getting five of the top 85 picks or so which is what they're gonna have, um a lot of cap space you know russell's dead money hit comes off after this year they were still paying him you know in terms of salary cap money 26 million this year but not having that they're going to have a a ton of i think right now they have the seventh most cap space for 2023 plus having as much draft capital as any any team in the nfl they're going to have a lot of a lot of ammo to go out there and make a lot of big moves this offseason if they want Um, obviously they got a you know what they got to figure out first is what to do with Dino Smith and whether they're going to pay him a lot of money and commit to him as their quarterback, or, you know, maybe decide with that fifth pick, they can, they can do something with that or, or trade up or whatever. But if they decide they want to do something um, with a, uh, with the college, you know, go, go draft a guy. Uh, it's, it's going to start there. But once they make that decision, they're going to have a lot of flexibility, a lot of cap space, a lot of money to spend to go fix, uh, to fill a lot of the other holes on this team. So I think from that standpoint, you got to really like it, you know, a, a Team that won nine games this year and will have a, that ability to make themselves a lot better in the offseason. I think they're in a lot better spot right now than a lot of people thought they would be.
1: You got a big kickoff tomorrow, one thirty on Fox. Uh, but on Geno Smith, it kind of feels to me like you know we saw enough of him to know that you know he feels like a placeholder to me. And how do you read it? Do you, would you be surprised if they said you know, hey Geno, we're giving you a multi-year contract you're our guy we're building around you we're gonna we're gonna draft defensive players and get back to what we do well or do you think they need to go get a quarterback
6: um i, I can see them doing a little bit of both uh you know if you can give gino a two or three year contract maybe a two-year contract with that third year really has no guaranteed money in it um you know it's kind of team option kind of stuff um and then go still draft a quarterback i you know, I think a month ago everybody thought, Well, the Seahawks don't need to send that first pick on a quarterback because you know for sure proven he could be the guy. But I still think just you know, John Snyder comes from that kind of Green Bay philosophy of you can never have enough quarterbacks. You know, that yeah. he was there when they drafted, you know, Rogers behind Favre and, and um, you know, in the nineties we're drafting guys like Mark Brunel and stuff like that, uh, when they didn't necessarily need quarterbacks, but they just were always drafting quarterbacks all the time just to kinda of have young guys to groom and and even just develop as you know, kind of have as assets to do something with, even if you if your own team wasn't going to need them. So I, I think I still think it's going to be really tempting for them to have. You know, I, I, I'm sure from their standpoint, they're going to assume that it's going to. They're not going to have the fifth pick next year. You know, Denver will probably. be, uh, I mean, they're not going to. They're not going to have Denver. not going to have Denver's pick, obviously. But they're going to assume that they're going to be good enough that they're not going to have that high of a pick. So this will be a rare time that they can have that this high of a pick to go do something with a quarterback with. So. I, I still will not be surprised at all, but I, you know, I think you could do both, you know, you could, you could be like what Green Bay did where you draft Jordan Love and you still have Aaron Rodgers around, um, you know, and you just kind of sell it to Geno Smith as, Hey, you know, the, the NFL's you know, this is a big boy league and there's a lot of competition and you, you're our guy for now, but we're going to draft somebody else as well and try to make this position the best it can be for the long term.
1: Yeah. I think the Niners are a good example of that. I mean, they're on number three here and uh, probably feeling good about the depth they kept out of training camp. Uh, Bob, I have a great game. I appreciate you jumping on with us, and uh, stay safe out there.
6: Yeah, all right. Thanks a lot, John. Yep, anytime.
1: There he is, Bob Condota, Seattle Times. Anna's popping into the studio. I want to know what your peeve is. Start lining up. Get it off your chest.
0: 503-417-7575. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
1: If you are subscribed to me at johnconzano.com, free subscription, paid subscription, whatever works for you works for me. I say that all the time. It's true. Uh, If you're subscribed today, middle of the day, you got a column from me about Jeff Cato, who is a remarkable person. He he was born without an optic nerve, and he can see shadows. He can see light and dark. Uh, He's 53 years old. He's blind. Uh, but that did not stop him from becoming a power lifter. It did not stop him from playing center on his high school football team. He learned to weld. He learned to skydive. He recently began taking fly-in lessons. Um, you know, he said to me, "Just tell me I can't do it, and I I will." Um, I wrote about him today. I think it's important to uh, read his story. If you ha- if you don't have you ha- if you haven't already seen it, just go to johnkonzano.com, or if you follow me on social media, I posted it. But read about it. I think he can help other people. Anna, you read it. You uh, you proofread it. And uh, what would you think? I am just amazed by him. I think it's really easy for
7: uh, all of us to get kind of caught up in the struggles of our day, whatever that might be. You know, maybe you're stuck in traffic. Uh, maybe you were taking the garbage out and the bag broke and you had to pick up a bunch of garbage on the ground. <laughs> uh, maybe you've had that kind of week. And then when I hear about someone like Jeff Cato that has not let blindness essentially keep him from living from, you know, working and playing sports, you know, playing center on a football team in high school, like that's the kind of stuff that I just, it humbles me. Like I I immediately, I, I go, okay, like what, what do I have to really complain about here? Cause I've got all five senses and, um, You know, I I just, I I should just shut
1: up. There's a lot of people in the world that are going to tell you what you can't do. You, me, listeners, there's people that are going to tell you what you can't do. It's very easy for somebody to sit back and go, you can't do this. You won't do this. You aren't good enough to do that. Um, Jeff Cato had those people in his life. He had a stepfather who told him, you're never going to have a real job. You're not going to amount to anything. And I really am inspired by the fact that even as a kid, Jeff Cato kind of waved that off and he made friends he dated he played horse on a hoop in the driveway with neighborhood kids he suited up in football he won a regional powerlifting contest he uh, you know he's got a job now where he's out and working and living and you know he's he's figured it out and so i even heard from a reader who read the column and said i played horse with that guy in his driveway And he said, all you had to do was kind of position him and go, hey, the hoop's up that way, and the guy could shoot. (laughs) Like, he figured it out. So good on him for doing that.
7: That's incredible.
1: That leads us to the time of our show every week where we point out something that bugs us. 503-417-7575 is a number. I want to know what your peeve is.
0: What's your peeve? Oh, that pisses me off. That pisses me right off. Call 503-417-7575 and tell Kenzano what's your peeve on the BFT. Hey, that my kind, making my life a kind. Brought to you by Revolution Dental Implant Center. A smile revolution, one day solution.
1: What's your peeve? I gotta know. I'll give mine. Steven, I want yours. Peter, I want yours. Line up now at 503-417-7575. Let's start with the phone lines today. Uh, I have a line open if you want to grab it. Mike is in Portland. He's going to lead us off. Mike, what's your peeve?
5: My peeve is with
1: uh, beep your horn in the tunnel guy. Uh, it's hard enough driving around the city these days, and when you're driving a big old truck for work and somebody's beeping in the, in the tunnel, it's alarming. It's going to cause an accident.
6: Those people are bozos.
1: Uh, I gotta be uh, admit here. If I have the kids in the car, I sometimes beep the horn. I apologize. Oh, I'm not saying I do that if I'm alone, Mike. But the kids get uh, they get entertained by it. <laughs> <laughs> he just hung up. <laughs> Out of disgust, we lost him. Mike, we lost him. I'm just gonna tell you. But I we were uh, we were recently on vacation, and we happened to encounter this tunnel that. Cured me of this though. Why? What? And and granted, to his point, if there's a bunch of cars around me, I'm not going to be laying on my horn because I do know that it would distract the people around you, right? And it could potentially cause an accident. But uh, you know, we're going. You didn't notice this? There was a tunnel that we kept having to go through. It was right by where we were staying mm-hmm. during right before Christmas. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, and right on the side of the entrance to the tunnel on both directions, somebody had spray painted. If you honk your horn, you're showing your IQ. I
7: didn't see that sign. Yeah.
1: And it caused me to not honk. Oh. So maybe Mike's public service can be to go out and find all those tunnels and put a little sign there telling you you're stupid if you honk. We're going to see Mike (laughs) along the highway (laughs) (laughs) hammering a sign in. (laughs) I want to know what your peeve is. Let's stay on the Mike theme. This is the other Mike in Portland. Mike, welcome. What's your peeve?
4: So, John, you know, my piece is uh, people bringing mythology to sports. And what I mean by that is here's a myth. In order for a football team, especially the Ducks, to have a chance to go play in the the playoffs, they have to somehow play weak teams. That's a myth. Anybody that has ever been an athlete knows that if you're good at, at playing sports, You don't never want to play a weak opponent because they can't do nothing but make your game bad. You always want to play people that's better. You get people on the air, especially uh, uh, sports commentators, talking about cream puffs and easy schedules. These people have never played sports. So what they're doing is bringing mythology to sports. And, and, And that pisses me off, John. So... You don't like the uh, you want the the
1: competitors want to compete is what you're saying. Basically, good competition knows good competition.
4: Well, John, that's true. Because John, when I played basketball, guys that was better than me would never let me play with them because they said I would make their game bad. So I had to go. I couldn't play with them. And so to hear guys come on the air talking about cupcakes, easy schedules, so you can get to the playoffs. I know right there that they never play sports. Mm-hmm. And that's myth. And another thing, too, John, that you guys bring on the air, if somebody was talking about um, the Blazers, somebody was talking about, well, uh, the Blazers, uh, uh, they need to, uh, now I'm losing my train of thought. It's okay. But so what I want to say, John, if the... What they need on the Blazers, they need somebody that is well-rounded. You, you can't – a jump shooter it not is not as.
1: Yeah. So you want well-rounded and you want good competition to play good competition. That's all right. That can be your peeve. I'm not going to take it away from you. If you think – but here's the other thing. Like when you look at the NFL – You know, the best teams in the NFL don't always play the best teams. There's just a couple few games a year where they play the best teams, and I think some of those coaching staffs would go, hey, it's nice to get a break and get to play, you know, uh, a team that you know you can pencil in. If you show up to play, it's going to be a W. Uh, That said, uh, I respect that. If Mike just wants to see good competition, against good competition. Here's my peeve. I'm going to start us off, okay? Among our group, and by the way, you can line up now. We'll do two segments of this if you want to share your peeves. Five zero three four one seven seventy five seventy five's number. Here's my peeve. Um, I ran into somebody today who said uh, I'm super busy. Okay, mm-hmm. and I'm guilty of this sometimes too. I don't like it when people say how busy they are. <laughs> we all have the same amount of time. I got twenty four hours today. How many hours did you get? Twenty four. Okay. Mm-hmm. The fact that, you know, I didn't schedule everything back-to-back-to-back, to back, to back overschedule everything, like, I don't need to hear that you're so busy, that somebody who says they're so busy that they don't have time for this, I'm too busy, I'm too, I'm so busy. You're spending all your time walking around talking about how busy you are. That's how you're filling your time. That's my peeve. Stop talking about how busy you are. Shut up. Okay. That's my peeve. Do you feel better? Not really. <laughs> But I'm busy. I thought that was the point of this thing. It's supposed to be cathartic. I just want I want people to know if you truly are busy, you don't need to tell everybody about being busy. Okay? Anna, what's your peeve?
7: Oh gosh. Let me pick. Um <laughs> You have more than one. I went to the post office today oh. to get a package and then also send a package. Let's settle in. And uh I just I don't understand people that treat, like, Mm. postal workers, restaurant servers, rudely. Like, they're second-class citizens. I just don't get it. What happened? It was like the guy was, you know, needed to send a package overseas. So, yeah, there's a level of complication there. But it was more just like the way that he was talking to the clerk. The postal yeah. worker?
1: Yeah, talking down.
7: That I Like, I almost said something. I was so close to saying something to be like, hey, dude, like, chill down, okay? It's a Friday. Is it chill
1: down or chill out?
7: I don't know. Okay. But I'm like, I, I just don't get it. I don't understand why, like, it's so hard for some people to just speak civilly to somebody who you're actually asking for help to do something, to accomplish your task. Like, you're not... Better than them. I you don't, don't care want to what make kind of car enemy. you drive. Yeah. yeah. I don't care how much money you have. You are not better than that person. And I was, I should have said something. I'm. I'm you did. So no. you were a bystander,
1: not an I upstander. Know. I know.
7: I'm mad at myself.
1: You preach that to our kids. I know. I was Dump. in a
7: little bit of a hurry, so.
1: Oh, you were so busy. <laughs> I
7: was so busy that I didn't. <laughs> I didn't
1: intervene. It's, it's convenient. I should have though. All right. Uh, I want uh, Stephen to you. You give us your peeve. Mark in Portland's going to go Peter's going to go as well but Steven go. Uh okay, I got two. One, number one is when fans
3: complain about refs in games. I absolutely hate it. Uh number two is The Workaholics movie got canceled. They were about to shoot the movie and I'm really mad about it. I love that show. It's one of my favorite shows and they were going to do a movie. They brought all the guys back, they wrote the script, they were going to film in about 5 weeks they said and then uh Paramount Plus they canceled on me and I'm not happy about it.
1: Workaholics, Googling, Workaholics. <laughs> That's is this terrible a series? It was, yeah. it was a TV
3: show. It's been off for a couple of years, but they were going to do a movie.
1: Okay. Oh. So this is not This is canceled for good, or?
3: I mean, they said they're going to try to go yeah. out to the other streamers, but, uh, yeah, they are about to shoot, and I was excited about the Five movie. Five weeks. But,
1: yeah. yeah, it says it's canceled. Yeah.
3: Not no, happening. Not I ha-
7: wonder why. Do you know why it got canceled?
3: Too busy. Too busy. <laughs> Too many things. Workaholics, <laughs> telling you. <laughs> They're just workaholics over at Paramount Plus, I guess. (laughs) Uh, You have a second one you said? Oh, it was about refs, yeah. When people complain about referees, I I absolutely hate it.
1: Don't complain about the ref. All right, more of your what's your peeves coming up. Mark in Portland's gonna share. Peter's gonna share. I got a line open. 503-417-7575.
0: Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 the game.
1: Amy Schwartz uh, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will be joining us in the 5 o'clock hour. The Schwartz, former uh, reporter, production assistant on this show, uh, will be with us in the 5 o'clock hour. She now works for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They're in the playoffs. She'll join us to talk about their game coming up on Monday. Uh, We're playing What's Your Peeve? We have a line open at 503-417-7575. Let's go right to the phone lines. Mark's in Portland. Mark, what's your peeve?
5: Hey, how you doing? My my peeve is uh, Mike's uh, hatred of Oregon is is so great that he he makes no he has no data when he calls you because Oregon has went on the road to play Georgia, Ohio State, Auburn, LSU. Name me a team that Alabama goes on the road to play in the top ten. Alabama never has to play Georgia on their side. Of, you know, in the regular season, you look at Alabama this year, everybody's talking about how they should have made the playoff. Now, they look at their best win in the regular season. They lost the only two games they, need, they needed to win to, to Tennessee and LSU. I think their biggest win was Ole Miss. And, and so the, the way the system's set up, it, Oregon went to the national title game in 2010 playing nobody out of conference, okay, just like Alabama does that pretty much every year. And the the year the other year they went to the to the championship with Mariota they played Michigan State I believe but at home at Austin Stadium Alabama uh, these other teams they they never they they might play a tough team but it's always going to be in a friendly environment for the SEC so this, the college football has a different system in its postseason and they they give us that data and we look at that data and say why are we going to Ohio State to play Auburn, LSU and these teams in this system and giving ourselves a, a good chance of losing a game right off the bat when it clearly shows the data that if you end the season with one loss or no losses, you have a good chance of being in the in the the playoffs or the, or the you know only the SEC gets to have teams in there without winning their conference.
1: Yeah, but, and the other thing, you know, Alabama <laughs> Alabama doesn't play out of conference road games. Like they just don't even play right. road games. Yeah, so they it's they not don't.
5: even they're, they're smart, John.
1: Yeah, and Nick Saban. I mean,
5: there's a reason that that they're always a factor because they only have to win a couple of games each year. They zero in on those games. They can rest their players when they play Citadel and all these other clown teams in the seventh or eighth week of the season. Really, you look at uh, the the Pac-12 and Oregon. They there there was no breaks during the course of the season for them this year. Really, I mean, they played a tough schedule. They played BYU. And, and Georgia at a conference. <laughs> so his, he makes no sense. He has no data when he calls you. He just hates Oregon.
1: There you go. That's your peeve, Mark in Portland. Have a good weekend. Who do you like? Who's your NFL pick? He didn't give it. He left. Everybody's <laughs> mic dropping me today. That's my peeve. Stop doing that. Peter Sampson, what's your peeve?
2: Yeah, mine, I just realized in the last two minutes here, NBA teams getting too far away from their color scheme. I'm watching Warriors Spurs. Spurs are wearing teal. The other day, I was watching the Pelicans. They should be wearing teal. They were wearing red. Well, who were they playing? They were playing the Bulls. The Bulls are supposed to wear red. The Blazers, the teal uh, airport jerseys, they're cool, but but they wear them all the time. And look, some of these wild uniforms are rad, like the Miami Vice. Heat jerseys are cool. The purple rain uh, Minnesota jerseys are cool, but we gotta
1: tone it down just a little bit. Like that, that's his peeve. I'm St- with him on that. Stay in your lane, wear your team. Uh, but does that apply to college football, or is it different in the pros? Like, because I kind of think the college it's become fashionable. It's been it's cool. I, I accept that it's not for me. Like, I'm not the old man on my lawn saying, oh, you should wear your traditional colors if you're Oregon or Oregon State. But the pros bother me more for some reason. Maybe it's the tradition of the pros and that the uniforms have been what they are. And we understand that the colleges are trying to recruit kids and they're using the uniforms. It, is it trickling up to the professional ranks so to speak
2: I think so I think it's I mean you know why they're doing it it's just to sell more jerseys it's not to recruit guys or anything like that or they're like yeah I'm gonna go to San Antonio because they have the you know the dopest threads it's just to sell <laughs> it to kids that are fans of the team
1: the, you know what the teams need to start doing or the uh, grown-ups need to start doing we need to because we're grown-ups we need to stop buying jerseys that are non-traditional jerseys it's our fault we need to show these teams that if they put a plaid jersey out, we're not a sucker. We're not buying that. We're not wearing that. So if but you if were... you're
7: like a jersey guy, you know, like you walk around and you like wearing jerseys and that's a regular part of your wardrobe, then I can that... see why changing it up can be fun.
1: That's my peeve. That's your peeve? Grown-ups jersey who wear guy? jerseys over their work clothes. <laughs> they put it on on a Friday night and go to a basketball game. If you have a button-up sh- work shirt on, you can't throw a blazer jersey over that.
7: What's the appropriate? It's a bad look. What's the appropriate item to wear under a jersey then? The, the,
1: Nothing.
3: Uh, it's a t-shirt or a long-sleeve shirt. You can't. You yeah, can't go. Well, yeah, you can't go button-up shirt under there.
1: I'm with you. Yeah, I I gotta see the jersey on this person too, though, before I can say it's appropriate for them. <laughs> there needs to be a certain level of. I don't care that uh-huh. comes with that look. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You can't be trying to look like you can't have that jersey tucked in. It can't be too svelte on you. It can't be too tight. You know?
7: <laughs> but the jersey over the button-up shirt it's a bad. It's a bad look screams you came from work and just threw this thing on to
1: it play it, the part i think it screams get it i get it you're trying to tell us you're busy you were at work you didn't have time oh, to change your shirt back to the yeah. busy
7: theme okay. you're so
1: busy that in the parking lot you couldn't change to an undershirt got it sean is in sandy sean what is your peeve
4: well none of those peeves are going to ruin my day because my peeves is people that aren't accepting and understanding each other and I think especially in this day and age, we should, we should have less peeves and just try to be more accepting and understanding. You know, I heard people talking yesterday about people playing pickleball. You know, generally when I was a kid and younger, I was generally a noisy person. I made a lot of noise, and I'm, I'm thankful that, I, you know, people are accepting of than... <laughs> <laughs> Did
1: that bother you? No. Well, then no, I'd be accepting of it. I am.
4: No, you know he's I so understand funny. noise ordinances. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I And I used to tell you. my dad, I used to say, "Dad, um, quiet down." You know, he's in there playing the drums. He'd say, "I got ten more minutes." I never forget the old man telling me that. That's right.
1: <laughs> I like that. That's a juxtaposition there. I do think your your overall tone. He mic dropped me. I think your overall tone, Sean and Sandy, your overall message, your peeve is a good one. He wants us to be more accepting of each other, okay? Uh-huh. But isn't he kind of not being accepting of the person who was saying the noise bothers them? Hmm? A little irony in there. You should be I accepting just... of the people not accepting you. That's what yeah. I'm just saying. The tolerance if you're be paradox. You're going to be accepting. you got to be accepting of the people who are not accepting. I like that the
7: callers are so efficient today that they're calling in, they're saying their piece, and they're immediately
1: well, hanging out. They're up. too busy. They have too much they're stuff too going busy. on. <laughs> too busy. Just rushing off to do whatever. you got ten <laughs> more minutes on the drum. All right, our, the 5 at 5 is coming up. Uh, there's some legislation out there that aims to keep the Pac-12 teams in the Pac-12. I'll tell you about it as part of the 5 at 5. Plus, uh, we got uh, the Schwartz from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. She'll be joining us to talk about their game.
0: <laughs> B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth.
1: Don't you feel better? You got off, You got it off your chest. You get to go into the weekend with that peeve that was bothering you all week. Not part of your weekend. Just feels better. This hour, we'll talk to you Amy Schwartz, formerly known as The Schwartz. She was a member of the staff of this show. P. Longtime listeners will know that. She's now working for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They got a big game coming up. We're going to ask her kind of what the uh, what the vibe is in Tampa as they prepare to host uh, a playoff game against the Dallas Cowboys. Tom Brady trying to throw a wrinkle into Jerry Jones' weekend. Uh, Anna, we're going to do the 5 at 5. Are you ready for this? Always. And our kids' school tonight, it's family fitness night. It's family fitness night every night over here, you know. <laughs> But uh, the kids are super excited about this thing. Uh-huh. What, is, what am I going to have to do? I have no
7: idea. I don't know how serious this thing
1: is. Do I need to show up in workout gear?
7: Yeah, you should show up in with leg warmers and maybe a headband.
1: Headband for sure. Sounds like you're going to have your pee for next week. <laughs> my work week turning into family fitness night to cap it off. uh but uh, do you not know anything about this thing?
7: I really don't know anything about it. Our
1: kids are kind of weird with this school stuff. I know. Have they you noticed I They love
7: it? a school event more than any child I've ever seen. Yeah. The yeah.
1: oldest daughter, not as into the school events yeah. as the two younger ones are.
7: Yeah, she was. She was. She was? But not in the same way. Yeah.
1: I don't remember that, yeah. and I and right now, like, it, it would have been a sin for us to miss family fitness night. Yeah, it like, was
7: non-negotiable. They
1: were talking about this, like, a week ago. I know, I know. Dad, we're, we got to go on Friday yeah. night.
7: Yeah, their enthusiasm is, uh, is a Is it a generational
3: boring. thing? Because my son is super into, like, school activities like that, and I it never was. I,
1: I could be. Like, I didn't, you know, I didn't want to see my classmates on a Friday night.
7: <laughs> yeah. I didn't want
1: to see my teachers outside of school. Yeah, I don't think the teachers want to be there. I don't
7: think the teachers are going to be there.
1: Um, (laughs) The uh, for Halloween they had a barn blast. Yeah. Okay. Uh huh. And the uh, eight-year-old, I said, "What's this fitness thing about?" And she says, "It's like the barn blast." And I said, "I got to wear a costume." And she said, "No, it's (laughs) going to be like the barn blast, but for fitness." And I said, "Well, what does that mean? We go through a scary fitness house?" You know, it's
7: I, I think she just likes because I asked her this week. I said, when are you happiest? It was a basic question. When do you feel happiest? And she said, when we're all together as a family doing something fun, you know, like school events. <laughs> and I'm
1: like, <laughs> you had me tell you said right through fun. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and so, like, mm-hmm, you know, we're stuck a good movie. No, yeah. a school event. Yeah. Uh, all right. So that's coming up tonight for us. Mm-hmm. But before that. We give you the 5-5 at 5-5. The
0: 5 at 5. Brought to you by Mercedes-Benz of Wilsonville. See more
1: than 4,000 vehicles at swickert.com. Well, the Green Bay Packers uh, management and ownership, I guess, is saying that they would look Aaron Rodgers in the eyes right now and they would tell him if they were ready to move on from him. The 39-year-old quarterback's uh, status is up in the air, but the Packers general manager... Uh, Brian Gutenkunst said today that uh, the season ended eight and nine. They missed the playoffs, but he said, you got to be honest with Aaron. You know what I mean? I think he deserves if we get to that point and we're not at that point, we'd tell him. Rodgers is apparently not ready to say himself whether he plans to return for next season or whether it would even be for the Packers. I got the impression after the loss to Detroit on what was it Sunday Night Football? Uh, I got the impression that evening that it was it for Rodgers. He was kind of looking around in a way that people who are coming back for another year don't look around. Keep an eye on it, but my bet is that Aaron Rodgers plays in a different NFL city next season. I think he's had enough of Green Bay. Number two, Anna, go.
7: This is so interesting to me. So Deion Sanders' daughter is going to be joining Colorado on their women's basketball team next week as a walk-on. Huh. Shalomi Sanders played this last semester at Jackson State. That's where he worked, right? Yep. And uh, made the trip with the Tigers when they played at Colorado on November 12th. She's a five-seven guard. She only played nine minutes in two games for the Jackson State Tigers, but uh, she will be redshirting this season. And could begin practicing next week if they are cle- if she's
1: cleared medically. Really interesting. You know, she has two hundred twenty-two thousand followers on Instagram. Just How many? look that up. Two hundred twenty-two
7: thousand. Oh, well, that's it.
1: Yeah, that's <laughs> crazy.
7: That, that, wow, yeah. no, that's a lot. It's
1: a lot of followers. Wow. So she's kind of a big deal. Yeah. Well, I I don't know if she can play, but she's an ambassador for the university, an ambassador for the program, and in, in, in some ways, that's kind of what it's about. Uh, in uh, for some of the athletes in today's world. Uh, I guess we'll keep an eye on whether or not she's any good.
7: Yeah, the coach doesn't sound like there's going to be a lot of playing time. J.R. Payne, the coach of the women's team, is saying it's going to be a lot of training. There's not really time at this point in the season to get a lot of those reps in. So mm. already kind of sending the signal that uh, there won't be a lot of
1: playing well, time. Well, good for her. I mean, uh, I thought she, you know, the interview I saw with her like late last year was that she kind of wanted to get out of the shadow of her dad and her and her brother her big brother uh, he, he, she has two brothers that are that were at jackson state and so she was i think she's only 18 or 19 she's like a freshman right sophomore maybe i don't know but she was going to get out of the shadow but apparently not she's right <laughs> back in the shadow uh number three in our five at five how about this news lawmakers in the state of washington have introduced Senate Senate Bill 5206 in the latest legislative session. Uh, Three senators in Washington have uh, proposed a bill that would keep Washington and Washington State in the same athletic conference. The governing boards of the University of Washington and Washington State may jointly recommend participation in a different athletic conference but it would have to be subject to the approval of the state legislature. This is interesting, and in it's obvious defense coming in the wake of USC and UCLA leading the Pac-12 Conference for the Big Ten. I don't think it's as much of a threat. What we've learned, if you're listening to this show, is that Washington very much likely doesn't fit in the Big Ten Conference financially. From a meteorite standpoint, the valuation of Washington's meteorites, right around $40 million dollars. Big Ten is going to pay $72.6 million to each member. doesn't pencil out. That means they'd have to subsidize Washington in order to bring him into the conference. Still, lawmakers in Washington taking a proactive step here, marrying Washington State to Washington, saying if you're going to take Washington, you're going to have to take the Cougs too. I think it's interesting. Anna, number four.
7: Fascinating move with that. Uh, Golfer Jordan Spieth uh, has announced that he's got a whole new travel set up for tournaments. He became a dad last fall when his wife Annie gave birth to their first child, Sammy. But now he's saying that he will be living in an RV during the PGA Tour season. He'll be in motorhome mode as soon as the current Hawaii swing of the tournament comes to a close. Uh, So he'll be doing the RV life. He bought this bus last fall and they're going to be hitting the road traveling to the tournaments this way.
1: Interesting. I like it. I don't think it's going to be like the RV that, you know, Clark Griswold's brother-in-law was driving, you know. <laughs> Eddie. Uncle. Was it Uncle Eddie? That's right. Cousin Eddie, cousin he's, Eddie. <laughs> he's
7: not the first, though. Jason Day did this. Bubba Watson did that until he made the jump to hell. These are, these are
1: going to be pretty nice RVs, I'm going to gather. Yeah. This isn't like camping. These guys <laughs> are uh, glamping around the tour. Good for them. They're having fun with it. I'm not opposed to that. Uh, finally, number five in our five-at-five, Jadavia and Clowney. Cleveland Browns defensive end, has apologized to his teammate, Miles Garrett. I don't know if you caught this, but uh, Clowney uh, was quoted as saying that he was 95% sure that he wouldn't re-sign with the Browns because they're trying to get Miles Garrett into the Hall of Fame instead of winning games. Um, You know, it was interesting. Clowney says he doesn't think Garrett notices it, He says, I play along. We don't have a problem, but it's BS. Uh, Clowney also claims that his comments were taken out of context and that he was misrepresented, but in his apology, kind of owned it. He said, as a son and a parent, I want to fully apologize to anyone offended, specifically Miles Garrett and his family. I have reached out to Miles specifically to apologize. I will continue to learn and grow as I move forward. Uh, Clowney had a pretty disappointing season for the Browns. They were 7-10. and 10. He had nine sacks last season. He only had two this season. He also had a concussion and sat out four games with an ankle injury. So, um, you know, interesting. He also had some problems with his coaches. But, meanwhile, Garrett had 16 sacks, tied for the second most in the NFL. So, Jadavian Clowney basically saying that the coaches in Cleveland trying to get Miles Garrett sacks... And, uh, you know, using him as a decoy, so to speak, it's interesting. That's our five at five. Five biggest stories going on. Uh, what do you guys think about the legislation in Washington, that that, uh, that bill, 5206, designed to try to keep Washington and Washington State together? Is it smart? Is it good business? You know, I, I heard from lawmakers in the state of Washington when UCLA and USC left. They... A couple of lawmakers reached out to me and asked me, "Was there anyone in the state of Oregon on the legislative side that would be interested in fostering a or creating a bill to keep Oregon and Oregon State together?" Uh, I said I didn't have an answer to that, and I I referred them to Peter Courtney, the the state senator. And, but I don't think Oregon will be far behind if Washington is successful in passing this bill. Oregon will be right behind them, trying to keep because there. You, if you think about it, there's a there's an advantage from a legislative standpoint, for publicly funded universities to stick together. Like, it wouldn't help Oregon State if Oregon takes off and goes to the Big Ten or somewhere else, the SEC somewhere else. So I think lawmakers in Oregon would probably follow suit. I will expect, I predict that this will happen, that if Washington is successful, Oregon will follow. Do you think
7: that legislation in Washington benefits Wazoo more or University of Washington?
1: Wazoo, totally. Because they're just saying you, be, you better take, you have to take, you know, you, the other. I don't want to call them the little brother. I hate that. I hate when people do that because that's not what it is. These are just different entities. Oregon State is a much different, it's a land-grant university. It's a different, mm-hmm. you know, you have engineering and, you know, agriculture and, you know, you have a different core student body at Oregon State than Oregon. And, you know, I think when you look at um, degrees and you look at fundraising, you know, you can make arguments back and forth who's big brother and who's little brother. But the fact of the matter is, athletically, Oregon has had far more success, uh, spends more money, generates more revenue, has had you know the higher profile football and men's basketball programs. It would help Oregon State if lawmakers in Oregon said, hey, Beavers can't be left behind. It will help Washington State uh, on that same note.
7: I'd be really curious to know how that legislation came about, like who was lobbying for it. Did it generate, you know, was it generated from the lawmakers themselves or were there, you know, closed door conversations that were happening from the universities to the lawmakers to push this thing forward?
1: Yeah, for me, I believe it came from the uh, I believe it came from the Washington state side. Um, There was a lawmaker on the Washington side who was an outgoing state, you know, uh, senator. I believe it was. uh, Baumgartner is his last name, Mm -hmm. Mike Baumgartner, who was interested in finding out if Oregon would follow suit. But I believe his ties were to Washington State. Mm -hmm. And I know this because the late Mike Leach was the person who connected me Mm -hmm. with the senator. And so he must have been close to Washington State. And the guy had asked for my number. And Leach said, hey, is it okay if I give your number to this guy? All of a sudden this guy's calling me and he's going, you know. I'm like, I don't know anything about the law. I don't know anything about how these laws are made. (laughs) I watch Saturday morning cartoons, how a bill becomes a law, conjunction, (laughs) junction, what's your function? Like that was (laughs) that's as far as I went. Okay. I I
7: think it's a smart move though. It's a a smart defensive move and it's somebody that's paying attention to the Pac-Twelve landscape. It's proactive. Yeah.
1: You know? It's proactive. It's nice to see, you know, I again, I'll confess, I put the garbage cans out late. Sometimes the morning, as the truck is coming, the cans are going out. It's <laughs> nice to see someone putting the garbage cans out a few days early. Okay, state of Washington's trying to do that. Coming up, we'll go to Tampa Bay, or is it Tampa, where Amy Schwartz, formerly known as the Schwartz, she'll join us to talk about uh, the Buccaneers' upcoming game. They're hosting the Dallas Cowboys as part of Wild Card Weekend. We go to Florida next.
0: You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
1: There have been a whole bunch of people who have worked on this show over the years and have gone on to do amazing things. One of them is joining us uh, now from Florida. Uh, I was just on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers team website And they kind of have a flow chart, guys, of the uh, employees, like from the team president all the way down on the business side. Uh, Amy Schwartz is like the ninth name that's on that list, uh, which means she's the ninth most important person in that organization. So that's kind of a big deal. She's joining us now, and uh, she is the uh, digital operations coordinator. She's going to tell us what she does, and she's going to talk about the Buccaneers in a playoff game. Amy Schwartz, thank you for making time.
8: Of course. nice most important, though. That's news nice to me. There you
1: go. You're on the flow chart. So I figure if there's a bad traffic jam and eight other people get caught in it, you're running it.
8: Right. It's all me. I
1: got Would, the show. Give us an idea of what you do. Did I get your title right? Digital operations coordinator?
8: Yes, yeah, that's right. So, you know, I like to say every day for me is different, um, which makes my job super fun. But I basically run our team website and um, our social, some of our social media. I deal with when we cut or sign players, if players get injured and go to injured reserve. I deal with those transactions um, and just everyday press conferences with our players, coaches. So it's a little mi- mixed bag of everything.
1: When you are preparing for a playoff game, uh, give us an idea of what the atmosphere is like in Tampa, the city, You know, uh, with Tom Brady being part of this franchise, I'm sure it's uh, ramped up in the last couple few years, but what is that like when you have a playoff week ahead of you?
8: You know, this week is probably different than any playoff run I've been a part of so far with this team. Um, There's definitely a different feel to things, I think, because we're going into the playoffs with a not-great record, right? And it's been a struggle of the season for us, but there is just – this whole city rallies around the team this morning at 5 a.m. We had 500 cars lined up around the stadium and they did a drive-through pep rally. Um, You know, we have tons of media here. ESPN is basically invading uh, Tampa this week. And it just, it becomes like a playoff atmosphere. I don't really know how to describe it. It's just a different level. You know, the stakes are high, everyone's lasered in, focused, and it's do or die at this
1: point. Uh, you know, I, I'm looking at Tom Brady and this season and this team, and, you know, we were debating uh, who's going to win this game, and there's an argument to be made that you just don't bet against Tom Brady. Is, is that shine come off this season, or is that feeling still out there? You know, I
8: think think at times you've kind of started to question it and then it's the games that he has the miraculous comeback but this season has been so different and I think he loves it because it's been so challenging and it's been a long time since he's had that challenge but there's just a a feeling in the building when there's that pedigree there's somebody who's done it so many times who has 35 postseason wins you just you can't bet against that kind of experience. So I do think that there's a confidence going into things. I think at the same time this team has been humbled in a lot of ways this year. So I you know, I if you ask me to guess this game, I think it's I it's up in the air. I think it depends on the minute right now.
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of people feel that way, and you, you don't quite know what's going to happen. Uh, from your job standpoint, like, give us an idea. Like, what are you doing this week on social media? What are you doing on the website that maybe isn't done during the regular season?
8: I mean, the biggest thing right now is we have closed off everything from the regular season and recapped everything. You know, we had our, um, our tackle, Tristan Wirth, won um, an all-pro today, so we did that. We're prepping for one of our Buccaneers legends to potentially be named a Hall of of Famer next week. So it's a little bit of everything as well as, you know, obviously this is a huge game. This is Monday night football in the playoffs. So we're preparing to face Dallas. So everything from matchups to, you know, players doing interviews with every network possible. And, um, you know, just trying to get people to know this team before Monday night.
1: Yeah, I think you know it's it's been a weird year in the NFL, but it's it's been uh, you know a year around Tom Brady too, and I don't need you to get into the weeds on that. But have you been around Brady this season? Uh, have you? Uh, is it a different Tom Brady? Same old Tom Brady? What's what's it been
8: like? You know, we're we're around him often. He is one of those people that I don't think a lot of people know how incredibly private he is. Um, You know, I think five people in his life probably know what's going on day to day with him because he is just a different caliber athlete, different caliber professional, but um, he's been the same guy. His players will go to battle for him any day. Um, You know, I know we see the the sideline throwing of the surface or, you know, the riled up Tom, but... He is just, in our building, he's Thomas, he's Tommy, he's Tommy Boy. It's all things. He is just one of the guys. He's sitting in the lunchroom with them. He's out on the practice field doing the competition. So he's just Tom.
1: Amy Schwartz with us, uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, works on the digital side of the operation. Uh, the city as a, as, a, as a whole, I mean, you get to host this playoff game, Is there a different feel in Tampa? And by the way, is it Tampa? Is it Tampa Bay? Can you help us out?
8: Yes, it's just Tampa. Um, The Tampa Bay is like the greater region, so it's just Tampa, though.
1: All right, so different feel in the city when you're hosting a playoff game, or has it it become commonplace with Brady around?
8: It's another level, honestly, in the playoffs. Um, You know, this weekend will be pretty unique because Cowboys fans travel very well. But um, there's a different intensity. I mean, we already hear about fans are going to be lining up for tailgates tomorrow. And, you know, we don't play till Monday. So there's just another level. There's watch parties all over the city. Um, The stadium is obviously sold out. So it's a different level. And I think a lot of that is this is Tom. But a lot of that, too, is this team. The city loves this team, um, regardless of the record right now.
1: Yeah, and I think uh, it, it's interesting to watch it. Uh, g- you get home to Oregon, you get back to the state of Oregon, your Beavers won, won the Civil War football game, you had to be happy about that.
8: I did. I'm so proud of everything they're doing in, um, at, in Corvallis and obviously very proud of Jonathan Smith and love that story. But, no, I have not been home in a, in a good minute, so I'll get back there when season ends. But I'm a little jealous the Beavers are killing it right now.
1: Yeah, your team got good. You're far away. I got to wonder if it's something we did because you got as far away from Oregon as you could possibly get, uh, and and you're yeah. so far away. So whatever we did, Amy Schwartz, I'm sorry. I apologize.
8: <laughs> I know. Yep. I, I mean, I'm home all the time, but this has definitely been a, a nice new chapter.
1: It's good for you. I think we're all proud of you. I know I am and uh you know our kids and everybody uh, send the best uh you know we're proud of you uh, out there making it uh in the NFL. Uh you know, I you know, I don't want the Buccaneers to hear this and get mad at you, but um you know, do you do you think a life in the NFL for you is there, like is that what you want for the future or is this a for now job? You're kind of checking it out? Like how do you feel about working for an NFL team? Ooh,
8: the hot spot. Or hot seat. Um, yep. you, you know, it, it's a very unique job. It is a very unique, um, I mean, you are, you've worked in sports forever. It's a unique life. Um, you know, you, I worked every major holiday this year um, at the same time. You know, I'll, I'll be there front and center on Monday and get to experience this. Um, there's a lot of sacrifice, and uh, I love it um there have been times it's very challenging i will not sugarcoat things but um i'm happy where i'm at right now and you know maybe like our quarterback i'll evaluate things at the end of the season but <laughs> i love it you well know, i'm, it. I'm a free, oh i can be a free agent maybe but no i'm loving it in tampa right now
1: i love it all right amy schwartz uh, we appreciate you thank you for joining us giving us some flavor from tampa good luck to you this weekend Thanks. Nice to talk to you. You too. There she is, the Schwartz, working in the NFL now. See you come and work on this show? Who knows what can happen for you? Leave it here.
0: Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
1: Coming up, top of the hour, Peter Sampson and The Pulse. Peter, what's on The Pulse tonight?
2: Yeah, uh, we're definitely going to talk more about the uh, mess that the Trailblazers are in. And uh, later in the show, we're going to continue Beavers Hoops Week. I've got assistant coach Tim Shelton joining me, so we'll see what's going on Mm -hmm. with the Beavs. I like that.
1: I like that. Uh, Beavers got blown out by Arizona last night. But uh, But they covered, so it doesn't matter. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I, I'm interested to see what happens this Pac-12 season. I'd be curious too to think. Uh, I guess blown out. They got beat by 12, but uh, I'd be curious to see at, at halftime. I I looked at the game and it was 44-26 at half, and I went ooh. Uh, but I'd be curious to think what the what the coaches think of the rest of the conference because is it a two bid league? Can they get a third team in to the NCAA tournament without some Somebody winning the Pac-12 tournament as a dark horse. Is there a third team? Is Utah going to make? Uh, you know, is is somebody else? Arizona State. Somebody else going to get in? Uh, doesn't look like Oregon right now. And it or is it just going to be Arizona and UCLA? So, got to look at that. Uh, every Friday on the show, we do what's on tap. Uh, in addition to Peter Sampson and the Pulse coming up uh, top of the hour, because technically the weekend starts. For me, it's 6 o'clock. So the Pulse I include as part of the programming. So the Pulse coming up 6 o'clock right here on 750 The Game. Make sure you include that. But uh, we also have a big and busy weekend when it comes to college basketball and the NFL.
0: Now it's time for What's on Tap and What's on TV at The Independent
1: on the BFT. Well, let's start in the NBA, where the Milwaukee Bucks and Miami Heat will play a 10 a.m. game on Saturday on ABC. Keep an eye on that, because that is going to kick off a whole bunch of football. After that, you got the Niners and the Seahawks on Fox at 1.30. You got uh, Saturday night the Chargers uh, and Jacksonville Jaguars on NBC at 5.15. That's going to be fun to see Justin Herbert. On NBC with his first chance to win a playoff game. Uh, on Sunday, the early game at 10 a.m. Sunday morning on CBS. It's the Dolphins at Buffalo. Will Buffalo return the opening kickoff for a touchdown? Keep keep an eye on that. Sunday in the afternoon, the New York Giants uh, taking on the Minnesota Vikings. 1.30 on Fox. That should be fun. Uh, Sunday evening, later Sunday, you have the 5.15 game. That's on NBC. The Ravens will be at the Bengals on Sunday night. So three games on Sunday, starting with Miami-Buffalo and New York Giants-Minnesota in the middle of uh, that sandwich. And then Buffalo-Cincinnati is the late game. And then one game carrying over to Monday Night Football, it is the game we just talked about with the Schwartz, the Dallas Cowboys at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at five fifteen on Monday. Uh, Buccaneers and uh, Cowboys will face off. That's what's on tap for the weekend uh, between the NBA and the NFL. I hope you give it a look. It's a uh, it's a busy sports weekend, but I like that. I like the uh, NFL games. Do you guys like the Saturday, Sunday, Monday feel of these uh, these six games?
3: Yeah, I like that they have kind of the one spotlight game on Monday uh, with the Patri- or no, Patriots, or not Patriots, Tom Brady, uh, the Bucks and the Cowboys. <laughs> I think that's a good, uh, and I like how they changed that up last season. Um, and then you know, spread it out over the whole weekend. I think it's good because you know sometimes you know and we love football, but sometimes it gets too crazy when you got so many games all at once.
1: I don't need sick, I don't need three games Saturday, three games Sunday. I, and I actually think the better thing because for a lot of people Monday Monday a holiday for a lot of people, right? I mean not for Peter. Will the banks, <laughs> will the banks be closed on Monday? I think so. Well yeah, that's so? so yeah, it's Martin Luther King Day. So in the state of Oregon, You know, Monday will be a holiday for a lot of people. Why not have two games each day? Why not? Why not do two games Saturday, two games Sunday, two games Monday?
2: I wonder the MLK Day NBA
1: slate runs all day. I wonder if they're Mm -hmm. nervous about losing a little bit of share to that. Probably. I and I also feel like the throwing one of those games to a Monday, it really does inconvenience whoever wins that game. Who you know will likely, you know, maybe it's Dallas, but maybe uh, the winner of that game will play not a Saturday but a Sunday game. Uh, the following week, but it gives them one day less of preparation. So I wonder if the NFL was concerned about having two teams play on Monday in addition to that. But I think there's a whole bunch of that going on where they don't like to put – they don't want to go head-to-head against anybody. Nobody wants to cannibalize anybody. So I think it will be really interesting to see. Which game do you think of those six games gets the highest rating? Which game draws the largest audience? Seahawks-Niners, Chargers-Jaguars, Dolphins-Bills, New York Giants, Minnesota Vikings, Baltimore-Cincinnati, or Dallas-Tampa Bay? Who gets the highest ratings of the weekend?
3: I think it's uh, the Tampa Bay-Dallas game on Monday night. I think that gets the highest. Um, you know, I, I look at the Sunday slate. I mean, there's a, you know, it's the playoffs, so there's good teams everywhere, but I feel like there's not as intriguing matchups. Like, the close game, uh, spread-wise, the Giants and the Vikings, I think that'll get a good number, obviously. that would probably be the most intriguing on Sunday. And then Saturday, to me, it's the jaguars uh taking on the Chargers, that's the most intriguing game for me. So, I, But I think
1: out of all of them, it's got to yeah. be the Bucs-Cowboys. I agree because it's brands. It's Tom Brady and the Buccaneers, and it's the Dallas Cowboys. It's America's team. It's, you know, Jimmy or Jerry Jones' team. And, and you don't have that in any other matchup. Like the Chargers in Jacksonville, it's not going to move the needle like Tom Brady and the Cowboys. Miami Buffalo doesn't even do it. Uh, there's I think there's some intrigue in Buffalo and – the DeMar Hamlin stuff makes people, I think, want to root for the Bills a little bit more. Everybody's Bills Mafia. Uh, but the New York Giants, Minnesota, it's it's okay. Baltimore-Cincinnati doesn't do a lot for me. Uh, I feel like I see that matchup so often. And Seattle-San Francisco, it's regional. I mean, I think people on the West Coast on Saturday are really going to tune into that 49 or seahawks game. But I don't think it's going to really move the needle like the Seahawks-Niners game's of, you know, yesteryear did with two really good teams that were both contenders to make the Super Bowl. So I agree. I think it's Cowboys, Buccaneers on Monday. I think the second highest rated game will probably be, I'm going to say San Francisco, Seattle is going to get a good number, and I think uh miami buffalo will get will be in there for second place what about the what about the
3: giants because you know new york the new york market i mean that's a pretty big brand still we're i we kind of forget how good they were for a while and how big that brand kind of is it
1: is but i just don't know maybe maybe i'm not you know there it's not a great giants team it you know and then and then you're throwing minnesota in there if it was the giants cowboys Yes, I think that one moves the or needle. Giants
3: Bucks something like that, yeah.
1: Yeah, Giants Bucks Giants Niners might do it, but uh, I think the big rating weekends will obviously come in the divisional round and the championship and the Super Bowl. But I think I think you're right. I, I'm going to pay attention to the ratings. I think the Monday night game with Dallas and Tampa, we're going to know by Monday night what the number to beat is. But I think that'll be the highest rated game. What's your uh, What's your favorite round of the NFL playoffs? Like the wild card round, divisional round, this the the very next round. Yeah, because we're we're getting rid of the pretenders here. This is what this weekend's about. Like somebody may sneak through. We may have an upset. But but that's we're always gonna... a fun story too. Yeah. Like
3: right, yeah. you get you get one of those Cinderella teams to advance.
1: Yeah, and it gives you somebody to root for the next round. But I think the next round because then we get to see everybody's playing. I don't like the Eagles and the Chiefs sitting. One team in each league gets to sit and get a bye and, you know, get healthy. And we're not seeing the best this weekend. The best two teams in in the AFC and the NFC are going to get to sit. So I'll wait for next weekend because it could give us a really – it could give us an intriguing matchup. And and I'm I'm never surprised when we get to the divisional round. I'm never surprised at who wins. Those are all good teams. So in the NFL, I think when we get down from, you know, right now there are 14 playoff teams – um you know and we're going to we're about to eliminate six teams and so it'll go down to the best eight teams in the next round That's those are all pretty good teams that are capable of winning on a given sunday
3: yeah this is kind of like the first round of the NCAA tournament for all those for yeah. like true contenders like the bills like you just got to get by this round and then you really you know buckle down but cuz the wild card weekend it always seems like there's always you know one or two teams that upsets a team and comes out of nowhere. So I'm with you. I think the second round is always the best one.
1: Do you guys like how the NFL seeds it versus the NBA? That you know they present a bracket. And yes, but we kind of know who's going to play who. And but now in the NFL, we got to wait. You kind of got to wait and see like who wins these games to know who's going through. Or would you rather have an NCAA tournament like bracket that was set in stone and this is what happens?
3: I do like the reseeding. I think I think it does make it so. It's more important to get a higher seed right so you want to be the one seed or the two seed, so you play the lowest ranked team available I I, I do like that um, for football I do think for basketball different story like I feel like in basketball it's, it's more often you're gonna get an upset and you can have more of a Cinderella run from you know a lower seed rather than in football where you know the yeah. top teams usually are there
1: all right so Kansas City and Philadelphia are both they're the one seed in the AFC and the NFC they will play. Uh, the lowest-seeded team to advance. So here's my question that I want you guys to chew on during the commercial break. Who are the Chiefs and the Eagles going to play in the next round of the playoffs, in the divisional round? Who will be the lowest-seeded team that advance? Is that is that right? Am I saying that right? Yes. Yeah, the, so the Eagle,
3: the, whoever's the lowest seed left in the yeah. playoffs plays the Eagles, plays the Chiefs. Yeah.
1: Like, the lowest seed in the NFC is the Seahawks. They're the seventh seed. If they beat the 49ers, they would play the Eagles. But I don't see that happening. So what I'm asking is, who are the Eagles and the Chiefs going to play in the next round? I want you guys to chew on that. I'll give you my answer, too, coming up. You got the BFT. Back to
0: the Bald faced Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
1: Peter Sampson and the polls coming up top of the hour. I've asked you guys to look at the NFL playoffs in the bracket. Uh, The high seed in the AFC is the Kansas City Chiefs. The high seed in the NFC is the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, Who will those teams be playing in the divisional round of the NFL playoffs? Basically, who will be the lowest-seeded team that advance? Uh, Will it be the four-seed Jacksonville Jaguars or the five-seed Chargers? Will it be? The six-seed Ravens, can they get by the Bengals? Will it be the seven-seed Dolphins? Can they get by Buffalo? Uh, and in the uh, in the NFC, will it be Tampa Bay or Dallas, the four or the five? Or could it be the number six New York Giants that if they slip past Minnesota? Or is it possible that Seattle gets by San Francisco? What can't happen in the divisional round, uh, Buffalo, the two-seed, There's no scenario in which Buffalo would play Kansas City. There's no scenario in which San Francisco would play the Philadelphia Eagles in the divisional round. So, guys, who's advancing from the AFC? Who's your pick? Who plays the Chiefs in the next round? Uh, I think the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars will
3: be taking on the Chiefs in Kansas City. And I think if you are the Chiefs, that's probably the best outcome if you assume that the Dolphins don't really have a chance against the Bills. Um, I mean, I guess Baltimore might have a little chance against Cincinnati, but if your choices are between the Chargers and the Jaguars, I think you probably want to play the Jaguars, and I think the Jaguars uh, will win, so they'll take on Kansas City.
2: Peter? Yeah, I've got the same game, but I've got the Chargers taking on Kansas City.
1: I believe (laughs) I like the Chargers as well. I think the Chargers are going to get by Jacksonville. I think it's going to be San Diego and Kansas City. And in the NFC, I'll go first since I went last. I just have this feeling that the New York Giants are going to beat Minnesota. I think the Niners will beat the Seahawks, meaning that the Giants will be the lowest-seeded team to advance uh at- Philadelphia and the New York Giants in the divisional round? And I mean,
3: if that happens, John, I think if you're an Eagles fan, you have to be ecstatic. If the Giants can pull off that upset over the Vikings, because if they don't, and whoever they play would be Dallas or Tampa Bay, and I think the Giants are way worse than both of those teams, where if you're Philadelphia and you have to take on the Cowboys or the Bucks, I think that's tough. You take on the Giants, I think it's a way better win um, for the Eagles. And then same thing with the 49ers. If the Vikings are to win, they're going to go on the road to take on the 49ers, and I think that is a big advantage for the Niners. In yes. that game, we've talked about the Vikings and how they've struggled. I, I think it's very interesting in the NFC because we all assume that Seattle is going to lose to San Francisco, but like it could really change who you think comes out of the NFC based off of who wins. I do think Minnesota wins, and I think mm-hmm. Dallas wins. So I think it's going to be Philadelphia taking on Dallas uh, in the divisional round, and then it'll be Minnesota traveling to San Francisco. So I think in my situation, yeah. San Francisco the favorable
1: uh, yeah you're right there. though because if the Giants beat Minnesota it throws a whole wrinkle into it because then all of a sudden the Giants are going to Philadelphia and then the uh the winner of the Dallas Tampa game goes to San Francisco
3: yeah and, so, you, and uh, if you're San Francisco you you don't want to play you know Dallas or uh, Tampa Bay you'd much rather play Minnesota or the Giants
1: yeah keep an eye on that so uh you know if, I guess the, if you're a Niner fan are you you're rooting for the Minnesota Vikings is that you know? Uh, yeah, I would I would say so yeah I mean you'd rather play them than than Dallas potentially I I would think in so the second round Peter who do you see in the NFC
2: Yeah you know John we don't always agree but I agree with both your picks here I agree with the Chargers and I, I do think the Giants are going to upset Minnesota I just I don't trust them despite their record uh so I think it's Philly New York in the second round
1: going to be fun All right so every time in every year in the playoffs we also get you know somebody who becomes a sweetheart and and I, I got to thinking about this, like, could this be Jalen Hurts' year to kind of step to center stage? You know, a lot of Eagles fans, a lot of NFL fans know him, but th- it's the kind of run that you need. Like, you need to get to the Super Bowl. So, again, we're talking about teams that could get to the Super Bowl. Do I think the Chargers can get to the Super Bowl? No, because if they did, Justin Herbert would suddenly be everywhere. He'd be the sweetheart of these playoffs, right? Everybody go, oh, look at this co- great young quarterback in the AFC. But I don't see them getting there. So I think in the AFC, it it feels to me like it's it's Kansas City's year again, or if not, it's Buffalo. Like, I don't see anybody else getting there. In the NFC, it feels a little more wide open. I think Philadelphia could get there. I think San Francisco could get there. I even think you could make a case for Dallas getting to the Super Bowl. So who's going to be the sweetheart of these playoffs, guys? And uh, I'll pick, because I'm a Niners fan, if the Niners get to the Super Bowl – the story's going to be Brock Purdy. It's going to be Mr. Irrelevant, the guy last guy picked in the draft, taking a team to the Super Bowl.
2: Yeah, I mean,
3: look at last year, Joe Burrow, right? I mean, the Bengals came out of nowhere, got to the Super Bowl, and then Joe Burrow is everywhere, MVP candidate, those type of things. I do agree with you. I think if Justin Herbert can somehow, the Chargers can beat the Jags, and they beat the Chiefs, I think he is the guy that takes over the NFL and people fall in love with. And I actually think, John, This is my hot take in the AFC. I think the the Chiefs lose in the divisional round to either the Chargers or the Jaguars. Then the Bills get to the Super Bowl. So I do think it could be Trevor Lawrence or Justin Herbert that become that guy um, to be the darling of the NFL. But then run to the Bills. Bills get a Super Bowl.
1: Wow. I, I think uh wow, that if they if somebody knocks out Kansas City whoever knocks out Kansas City becomes that darling as you point out Peter who's your who's your sweetheart in these uh, playoffs
2: man I, I mean it's hard to have a sweetheart that has the best record in the regular season but I think Jalen hurts you know a lot of people you know he's MVP frontrunner before he got hurt they have the best record but I think a lot of people haven't really watched a lot of Jalen hurts action you know we've heard he he's had the great season but you talk about the expectations when he came into the NFL is this guy even a quarterback? And then it's, is he a starting quarterback? And then it's, is he a good starting quarterback? All those have been answered, and you're going to see a lot of storylines about him overcoming the doubt. I have questions about the shoulder. I know, I think it's going to be strong enough, but I know he's going to be playing with a lot of pain. But if they roll through, you're going to see a lot of that this postseason.
1: Yeah, keep an eye on that. Uh, How do we feel about Hurts' shoulder? Like, because we haven't talked about that as much. Like, if that were... Josh Allen, if that were Tom Brady, if that were, you know, anybody, Patrick, Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes, this would be like the story. But we're talking about, you know, Jalen Hurts has been out. They haven't been the same without him. They, you know, they're obviously getting the week off. That helps them the extra week. But he's got this shoulder thing, and it's still a question in the playoffs. Why isn't this a bigger storyline right
3: now? I, I think it's what Peter said, like, we still for all the good things that Jalen Hurts did this year you know he could have been the mvp had he not gotten hurt the eagles are the one seed there's still questions of well is he good enough to win the super bowl and i think if he comes out and he has a good game you know in the divisional round that's why he could be the darling like you like peter said and i just think that there's a lot of doubt because we haven't necessarily seen the guy that runs the RPO a lot, get to the Super Bowl, and advance in the playoffs. It's more of a college system than it is the NFL system. And I think that's why we still have a little doubt in him. And I have doubt in him, too, where the Eagles have a great roster, but I still question, like, well, is Jalen Hurts the guy?
2: I'm also just – I might be completely off base here because I haven't watched every single game, but have the Eagles been on national TV a ton? I know they've been on a few times. We had a couple couple Thursday nights, but I feel – they just didn't get a lot of shine uh, for how good they were. They just weren't scheduled for as many games as maybe the Bills were or Tampa Bay was. So a lot of people just haven't really seen them.
1: I think, too, like they started the year and, you know, they were undefeated and I looked at them and went, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I looked back up and I was like, they're still there. And it, it's it been interesting to kind of watch them, uh, you know, develop and, and put the season together. But then I read the story today uh, in the Philadelphia Inquirer. You know, Hertz did not throw today again in practice. Now, maybe they're just being super cautious with him. They know they have the extra week. They're taking advantage of that. But, man, that would really concern me if I were an Eagles fan, that the guy who hasn't been right, that is such a vital part of the team, they're not the same without him, hasn't thrown. And I'm trying to figure out, would they rather play the Giants, who have a decent pass rush, or would they – Do they want to play Dallas, whose defense is pretty good? Or do they want to play Tampa? Like, who's the right opponent for them? I still don't know. But we're going to find out this weekend. I want everybody to have a great weekend. Uh, For those of you listening on 750 The Game, keep it right here. Peter Sampson in The Pulse coming up. He is uh, going to interview uh, uh, another Oregon State basketball program personality, plus uh, talk some Blazers. I'm sure he'll mix in some NFL as well. I will catch you uh, next week, of course. I want you to have a great weekend. Grab a podcast to this show. If you want to read me over the weekend, you know where to find me, Uh The Bald Face Truth, not here for a long time, just a good time. I want you to have a great weekend.